of Video Game Logic. Today's episode was recorded on May the 14th, 2019. I'm your host, gaming psychologist, and with me, as always, delightfully distracting... Uh, squirrel! <laughs> Caffeine rage. <laughs> on today's show, we will, of course, be discussing the games that we played this week. A loot box ban bill is to be introduced by U.S. Senator Josh Hawley. A new Final Fantasy VII remake trailer shows Aerith, Sephiroth, and Action Combat. The U.S. Supreme Court says Apple can be sued for monopolization. We'll have our weekly community corner where we discuss that very long Our Games as Service fraud video that was sent to us by Jim about two weeks ago now. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. Good evening, Rage. Hello. How are you? What, you didn't figure that out in the, like, what, hour and a half, two hours we've been talking? Well, okay, I mean, that's a little I bit have. That's about an hour. Uh, I'm doing I mean, all right. Had a little bit of a frustrating day, but that's just more uh, where I live. There's a lot of small restaurants, and they don't have enough food minions in the kitchen. Yeah, I ended indeed. up spending about half an hour at a Taco Bell to uh, order a drink. Yeah, I I like Taco Bell and the pain which follows. Uh, on the porcelain throne, but it's it not even for me is it worth half an hour? You're a very well, see, at, well, at, obstinate no. man. Yeah, at one point it became more of okay. I've already been here uh, this long. I want the survey code. I usually don't do the online surveys after <laughs> a, a, a a visit to a place like that, but as soon as I got home, I did one. <laughs> yep. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, and it's the thing. There wasn't even that. There was three people that was waiting on mobile orders. And the thing is that they kept prioritizing the drive-through that kept seeing cars come through. So they were skipping people that was in the store. So, yeah, I, I was there for quite a while and... I kept was being told, oh, don't worry, the cashier will be out in a moment. And it makes me a little concerned about the hygiene in this place because the cashier came out, uh, took my order, saw it was just a drink and uh, gave it to me, then went back into the kitchen to uh, t- uh, resume our food minion duties. Um, Yeah, am I the only one that sees a hygiene problem here? Uh... Potentially, I was probably not all that concerned about hygiene, honestly. True. I, I mean, hell, for uh, quite a while, uh, Taco Bell, uh, everything was meat-free. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Full of sand, though. Full of sand. No, no, it's spices. The spice and the diarrhea must flow. <laughs> Funny, but gross. But hey, uh, their uh, uh, freeze drinks are actually pretty damn good. Which was while I was there. Also, I was there at the brick of 20 because I stopped at the ATM uh, across the road from it. Because I needed to do some wallet restuffing. Did that today. I got, I stopped at Sonic and got some food just so that I could get some change. Yeah, that that was pretty much my sole reason there. I was 
uh, just to break a 20 that I got out of the ATM. <laughs> because, you know, uh, the bus needs uh, an exact change. Welcome to the not-so-helpful financial portion of the podcast. <laughs> now, see, you do not invest in Taco Bell because they uh, they have this weird thing about fast food not being fast. <laughs> Indeed. Regular food would have been much faster than your fast food today. I was starting to wonder if uh, the a particular flavor of drink I uh, wanted would have been available because, you know, they discontinue uh, flavors after a month or so. <laughs> I see what you did there. I was also starting to worry about, you know, if the $20 bill I had in my hand was still considered legal currency. Because, you know, they do require bills after a while. Yeah, but I get what you're saying, but can't you actually still spend that money and then just the banks collect it once it winds up there? Yeah, but people look at you kind of weird if you you use really old currency. Yeah, that's true. That is true. I mean, how many times have you uh, seen stories about people... Uh, being accused of uh, being counterfeiters for using a $2 bill. More than once. I've and, the got... that, and the fact that there is $2 bills is still kind of weird, but it's, from what I understand, actually related to horse racing. Didn't know that. I've it got was, a couple of $2 bills. It was somewhere. a particular denomination for uh, horse racing, if I recall correctly. Uh, yeah, uh, betting on horses. So... Uh, it was big enough that it was a thing, and they it was, and it's one of those things that is actually going to pop up later. That once a law goes onto the books, it's a lot harder to get it off the books. Yeah. So That's speaking of books, uh, weird segue, but let's go with it. Sure. Speaking of entertainment. Well, uh, also, you want me to skip to the second game? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay. Uh, we'll take the bad segue and go into Dauntless. Oh boy, uh, Dauntless. This is a free-to-play uh, Monster Hunter-esque game, and yeah, um, flavorless. Uh, let's go with uh, flavorless as an adver- uh, adjective on this one. It tries to do a lot, but it feels like it doesn't really have a character of its own, which is kind of weird considering the art style because you would look at it and think, oh, this is going to be a wacky uh, kind of uh, fun adventure. No. No, not at all. Uh, I think my biggest problem with this game is its matchmaking, alright? So, uh, Dauntless, uh, it uh, it's, uh, Monster Hunter World is kind of a giant overworld, right? That you can traverse, right? Or, yes. To some degree. Dauntless, yeah. all matchmaking. All of it. Okay. You have the central hub, uh, Rams Fest, Rams Vest. No, no, they could ram it. Uh, but everything is in matchmaking. There's no uh, overworld to try to traverse. It's all just floating islands out in the ether, all right? Okay. And to do anything is just convoluted and frustrating. So let's let's just dive right into the actual fights, all right? Like you would expect, you're going up against uh, what do they call them uh, in Monster Hunter? Do they just call them monsters, or is there a particular term for them? Uh, no, they. 
usually they're just referred to as monster or beast or creature or something like well, this, that. Uh, they do all have behemoths. a special. Okay, they do have a special term for them, but I don't like. It's like a lore related thing, and I can't remember it right now. Yeah, and uh, and uh, unlike Monster Hunter, uh, the behemoths have a various uh, weak point, or not even weak points, but just different uh, 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 points that you could uh, damage independently of one another. Uh, to uh, like lop the tail off to get extra loot to damage up like uh, sacks in the mouth uh, for extra loot, but because of how they have the game balanced around groups, trying to do anything solo feels like it is so slow. Even though it's uh, less than ten minutes, just because it is so bullet spongy and there's there is. Uh, some uh, visual elements of okay well the tail came off or there's a, now the creature has some scratches on it but it doesn't really have the feedback that you would expect from taking a giant sword and uh, whapping it upside the head of a giant monster a few times right okay and it and it made it feel like it was just so it, it was bringing out the repetitive nature of it which I realized these games they are loot grinds and don't get me wrong i enjoy my loot grinds when they're fun this was not fun it kept pushing me towards okay well you build up this weapon a little bit now you have to go do another one to progress the story a little bit well i I just got this weapon where it's actually decent so i could hunt something else no you gotta do something else or uh there's five different melee weapons and there's one ranged weapon which is a, a set of repeaters pistols in okay. order to unlock any of the repeater stuff, you have to deal so much damage with them that it's just absolutely uh, uh, infuriating. Plus, the repeaters, by the time I unlocked them, were worse than any of the other weapons I had. So, I was having to gimp myself to try to unlock re- uh, ranged weapons so I'd be a little bit better on some of the behemoths that take flight. And it just made no damn sense to me. That's That sounds incredibly frustrating, because in oh, Monster Hunter, yeah. like as long as you have the materials to upgrade the weapon down whatever path you want, yeah, you, you can just you ha- skip all of that. Uh, well, there, well, let's see. There's five different main wep- uh, weapon types. There's uh, giant sword, slightly more giant sword, giant axe... Um, little saw things, and there's some and giant hammer. Okay. I don't know the proper terms for them. Don't really care. Uh, but each one has their own different uh, yo know, uh, style. So yo, know, giant sword uh is like faster than uh, very giant sword, right? Okay. And uh, they each have their strengths and weaknesses, but also each weapon has different elemental types. So, in order to, like, get the fire giant sword, where you have to go kill the fire monster, but in order to get that uh, material, or materials to be more effective against that, you have to, like, go kill the uh, electric uh, monster. But, like I said, it's just, it, it's, it, the uh, repetitive nature came out very quickly in this. Uh, to the point where, you know, it kind of off-put me. And that's not even getting to just how frustrating the 
uh, crafting system is to begin with. Because, okay, you need the items, but also, there's no centralized crafting location. You have to run around uh, Ramit uh, to find the various shops. There's no local map, and Kerry gets the uh, one of the few things that that's not quest that shows up on your compass as icons. Where you can purchase things with the premium currency uh, that's or one. loot boxes, uh, and uh, where you crack open the loot boxes. <laughs> so unless you memorize that damn place. You're uh, wandering around trying to figure out, okay, now, where is the shop again that, and it doesn't have a, a good signing system on the uh, damn buildings either, to figure out, okay, where do I go to, like, try to build a new uh, uh, a new sword or uh, go see what I need to upgrade the pistols? Because, yeah, it's just, it's one of those games that, uh, it's the free-to-play model done to the extreme. But once you take the free-to-play model away, it feels so bland. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, listening to you talk is uh, talk about this just makes me feel like it's like, okay, so they copied the Monster Hunter sort of formula, took out all of the fun aspects of the loot sort of grind and gear grind and made them terrible. Yeah, pretty much from what I can tell. So uh, let me give you an idea of what a hunt is like. So uh, let's go on a, a solo hunt. So I'll enter mage breaking and now we wait. Yes, you actually have to wait even if you're in solo mode. Which oh, you is, can skip that in Monster Hunter. Not this. Well, there is uh, some sort of uh, thing that you can unlock later for paid currency, of course, to skip the line, but eh, right? I mean, fuck that, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, wait a minute or two to get into the uh, into the arena. Well, you also need crafting reagents for later. So, if you're with a group, well, good luck, because you have to kind of fight a balance. Okay, do I want to go uh, grab some of these things that I need for potions later, or do I actually want to be useful to my group? <laughs> Which is also frustrating as hell. Because all that is in the matchmaking as well. Uh, uh, sorry, go ahead. Does it do that difficulty adjustment thing? Or is the game clearly designed for groups and if you try and go it solo, you're at a clear disadvantage? It feels like it's a combination of both. It feels like you're at a clear disadvantage solo, especially against some of the more annoying monsters even earlier on. Uh, but there's a definite... Uh, HP bump uh, in groups. Oh, and also, uh, might I add, um, uh, you know uh, how most PC games have push to talk? Yeah. This one does not. And I swear half the uh, population of this game are Twitch streamers because I constantly got someone that was narrating their entire fucking fight. That would be infuriating. There's no way to disable voice chat, or you can, you- can <clears throat> but you're. It's uh, in order to disable it per person, you have to uh, drop the uh, the menu, and oh, your group just left you behind because they're off running uh, to grab the monster. Oh, so you can't just like go to global voice chat and set it to zero. <laughs> I think there's an option to disable voice chat altogether, but uh, it's one of those things that. It's just so stupid that it's this way to begin with that that warrants mentioning. 
Gotcha. Plus, uh, the only way to communicate outside of that, because there were a few people I that were actually useful in voice chat. You know, and, and with this game that's, you know, disabling voice chat for a cooperative game feels like an oversight, you know, like it's gimping yourself uh, intentionally. Yeah, but I would do that anyways. I always disable voice chat. I don't care. Although most of the time I don't play multiplayer games, but... Anyway, uh, try to grab some of the uh, of the craftier agents, which some of, oh, it's also it's uh, push and hold, which I absolutely hate uh, to interact with anything. Yo, know, it's the no man scab uh, method, which gets old quickly. Uh, but okay, uh, get into the fight, and oh, and, uh, might I add that a lot of the group monsters. Or I should say the daily patrols because there's a matchmaking for daily patrols that gives you uh, the orbs that you need to upgrade your equipment. And then there's the uh, actual quest ones that are completely different. So all the group uh, patrols at 50%, they skedaddle and you have to go find them again. So it, it kind of breaks up the entire fight, you know? I mean, every single yeah. one did that. And that got old quickly. Especially since there's no real movement abilities whatsoever. And because uh, this is you know, a more momentum-based tactical fighter. Yeah, well, I mean, it's the Monster Hunter game. So, you know, you expect combat to be weighty. And I'm trying to uh, avoid saying uh, a certain game in this. <laughs> because you know what I'm uh, thinking, but... It's that style, you know? Uh-huh. I'm so, trying to put that together in my head. I mean, I, you know. How how uh, the uh, how you have to constant or have to chase down the monster twice on a patrol but still have very slow movement? Yeah. That's that sounds terrible. Yeah. Yeah, and the tracking sounds very boring. Uh, uh, yeah, and the tracking mechanic is um well it's pretty much, uh, okay, scatter and uh, go look for it and hope that the person that finds it uh, has a, uh, uh, the wherewithal to use the emote that sends up this giant firework, which thankfully is uh, unlimited use. And, oh, that's your uh, tracking ability. <laughs> there is the lantern, which is uh, a uh, uh, essentially a, a sort of consumable that you kind of build back up energy for. But you want to hold on to that because that's also your starter shield. If you don't have uh, energy for that, you're going to be taking health damage the entire time. So, you know, you kind of don't want to use that, right? Yeah. No. And also, if you upgrade that lantern and all, there's only five different lanterns. That's the thing is that this game feels like it's missing about half its content because... It only has, and I realize only, uh, 20-some, 30-some monsters total. It has the five weapons, and each one of the uh, main... Uh, 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 there's only uh, like one or two for each element, and then you have to upgrade them. So it feels like a incredibly shallow monster hunter. That has a a loot grind to it, or, or I should say, a uh, battle pass grind to it, because of course they have a battle pass in it on top of loot boxes, right? Of course. 
in a free to play store. <laughs> so I'm uh, you obviously you can't see my face, but I'm just like <laughs> making this face and like shaking my head like, yeah, of course it does. <laughs> uh, like you just been to a lemon. Yeah. Except somehow more sour and bitter. Also, in other words, how I feel about the game. Because yeah. I originally tried to play it, and uh, I, I'll give it uh, the benefit of the doubt on this, because it was early alpha. It was having some severe performance problems. Don't get me wrong, it's still having some severe performance problems, but I'm able to actually pull 60 FPS now pretty uh, uh, steadily outside of town, which towns in these games are always you know, more detailed anyway, so they go for the visual flair instead of a uh, very solid frame rate because they're not doing combat in it. So, yo, know, I, I forgive that. Or I, I shouldn't say forgive. I overlook it. Gotcha. Uh, but it's just so many little things on it. You know, uh, uh, the uh, potion system is annoying because in order to craft your potions, you have to go on particular hunts and try to find the uh, reagents or, or say the uh, items uh, to craft them. But if you're in uh, group matchmaking, well, you're not really going to be able to scour the thing. Oh, and there's a time limit. Of course there's a time limit, right? Yeah, of course. There is a half hour time limit per fight. So if you run out of time, well, you lose. Quite simple as that. So, you know, there's a constant time pressure that for some people it may, uh, you know, uh, make more exciting, but for me, it just makes it more frustrating because, okay, well, I need a bunch of items to be able to craft my potions to try to do something more uh, uh, high level. Uh, and also, I need uh, items to be able to uh, craft my gear, and that's uh, doing the monster in a very particular way, like uh, knocking its tail off in a certain amount of time gives extra loot because, of course, it does, right? But good luck doing in that if you're so. a certain amount of time? Not yeah, just at all? Yeah, well, there's both. So, uh, a good example of this is pretty much every monster, you can knock its tail off. Alright? Well, some of the monsters have a challenge mode that if you uh, knock their tail off or you know, do a certain challenge in a certain amount of time, uh, it also gives you extra loot. Which strongly encourages group play, doesn't it? Yeah, it also sounds like it encourages rushing. Which, which gets old. And is completely counterproductive to getting items to be able to do the damn crafting. Yeah. In Monster Hunter, there is one type of hunt that is timed, but there's no, like, bonuses or anything like, like that. It's just like, this monster is in a specific whatever for X amount of time. Quick, you can go hunt it. And it's like sort of like a challenge mode, almost. Well, well, to be fair, in this game, there is only one type of uh, encounter, or one type of uh, behemoth that's uh, timed. It's called all of them. Right. Right. It's probably a pretty prolific monster type, though, if it's, um, you know, all well, of them. Well, it popped up every so often. Gotcha. Uh, but, but beyond that, all right, something else that it felt like a lot of the monsters were kind of copy and paste. The first three, I, uh, the three behemoths, I should be using the proper term because I don't want to dirty the name monster. The first three behemoths 
okay, they're the same body. One is essentially just a recolor with a giant fin put on the back. And the other one has the front legs cha- uh, swapped out uh, for uh, little bitty, uh, like, claws. And if that's the character design that they're going for on your initial, you know, uh, play session to try to hook you, it makes me wonder just how lazy they are once they got you, right? Yeah. Pretty lazy, I would assume. Oh, but to be fair, they did do a palette swap on them. You know, the fire one was uh, red and the electric one was blue. Yay. <laughs> uh yeah, yeah. Can you tell so I didn't enjoy creative. this? Yeah, I, th- I think I can tell. It's it's coming through like just a little bit. Okay, but you know I know you very well, so oh, I can j- pick just up what you're sure. putting down. Yeah, the subtle undertones though might not be discernible for a general audience. So yeah, it's just uh, uh, there is one system that I found interesting, which was the orb system. But the thing is, it's tied to the loot boxes. So, you know, it's tied to that randomness. So the loot boxes have a possibility of dropping the ingredients. So, yeah, the people that played long enough, uh, yeah, will have the ingredients just through loot boxes, but they also have augment orbs or, um, can't actually recall the, exactly what they called them, but uh, orbs. All right. And you're able to swap them in and out freely. So that's something that's nice that they're not tied to that uh, particular weapon. Uh, but, uh, they could do, uh, you know, fairly mundane things like just adding flat damage or, you know, uh, making it so that if you hit certain, a uh, certain amount of times in quick succession, that it does the bonus damage. But then they start adding more interesting things like, uh, dodging a monster attack, uh, grants a bonus damage for a certain amount of time. Uh, if you get low health, you start, uh, gaining more and more armor until you start uh, doing life steal. So it encourages a more, uh, berserker style mechanic where you're trying to get lower health to trigger this on top of other orbs that do similar effects but grant more attack power. And there's a lot of interesting uh, things that they could throw into this. But the thing is, because it's tied to that loot box system, it's infuriating because, you know, you only get a few and you don't really get to pick and choose. There is a, some sort of synthesis uh, thing going on that you could kind of combine them. But it wasn't really explained all that well. That's the thing also is this game doesn't explain its systems very well. <laughs> and there's a that lot That doesn't of, surprise me. Yeah. Like there was this thing in the upper right hand corner that I couldn't quite figure out. It, it had a percentage counter that was kept ticking up. Well, it turns out this is the danger level. If it hits a hundred percent, you're no longer able to be revived and the monster starts hitting harder. So, you know, don't want to do that. And it takes up over time. Also, if you take damage, uh, you uh, increase it. But if you make the monster run away, or sorry, behemoth, I keep using the term monster. Uh, if you make the behemoth run away, it takes a bit off of it. So it's also a timer. So you're dealing with two timers. And that is too, too many. Oh. I mean, I really wanted this to be pretty decent, but there's just so much that angers me. I mean, they pretty much throw you onto the loot grind right away. In order to get your first decent set of armor, you're having to just grind out that first monster over and over again. 
or just get carried by groups on others. And then you got people yelling at you. That's the other thing is that it seemed like I was hitting, maybe I just had bad luck, but I kept hitting people that were narrating their entire hunt. I mean, it wasn't even funny. It was, you know, streamers. You know, if somebody was uh, doing like a Steve Irwin impersonation, fine. But no. (laughs) Oh, he's angry. (laughs) Right. Or the people that were on like Discord and they were talking to somebody that was in a different hunt. That was also another one I kept hitting. Yeah, Uh, but uh, but I kept uh, hitting people that were kind of jerks because, oh, why aren't you wearing better armor? I've been playing this for an hour. And I actually had people that left because of that. And because, you know, health is set to your initial uh, group. Well, I was left to either struggle through or quit myself and lose uh, all the progress. And more importantly, all the ingredients I've picked up. So, yeah, I'm not a big fan. And the fact that they uh, just announced uh, literally after I uninstalled it, out of disgust that it's going Epic Game Store exclusive. Well, nothing of value is lost. Yeah. That uh, does yep. not sound good. Like a good game. It just, hearing you talk about it kind of makes me just want to go play Monster Hunter because Monster <laughs> Hunter's, you know. Well, after good. playing it for a while, you know, it's like, yo, know, maybe I should try Monster Hunter instead. Uh, assuming that I could get it on a good sale. It's just one of those things that. Actually, I don't even know how much Monster Hunter is these days. It's 60 bucks. I just checked. Oh, they haven't dropped the price at all? No, it doesn't look like it. Well, that's disappointing, but yeah. I, well, right. let's, put, let's put it this way. There were people talking about uh, on the store on well, on the store announcement page or thread in uh, the subreddit how little they've added over the course of the year that the game's been out. They've added four behemoths in a year. That seems rather paltry for a free-to-play game, doesn't it? Yeah, unless there's a bunch of other stuff that they added, but if that's Not really, all they've uh, they, added... They focused more on their monetization, adding... They're, they're on their fourth battle pass in six months. Just, just let that sink in. They're going through a battle pass in a month and some change. Yeah, I guess the ones for Fortnite last for is it three months it's more than a month which i mean you know nobody necessarily has to do that yeah. but that's sort of let's set see the trend. Uh, actually hang on let me let me make sure on this so uh they're okay they're season one all right they're on season four okay ran from december 6th 2018 to january 9th 2019 so, a month. Yeah. Uh, a month and some change, like I said. So, it's not even six months. We're talking uh, five months. And it's not even using the Fortnite, Fort, uh, Fortnite uh, model, where if you buy into it and you complete it, uh, you're able to essentially get the next one for free because there was enough paid currency in it. Nope. Uh, you get about half your currency back. And, and... They have a skip mechanic that you could also buy into. So, but if, wait, there's more. It makes Julian fries. Yeah, if 
uh, you're coming up to the end of the battle pass, you could throw in another 400 of the paid currency to be able to uh, skip to the next level. Mind you, to unlock the track, uh, it's a thousand. Am I the one that thinks that that's a little bit much? No, that seems like too much to me also. So, you know, they're going hard monetization. Uh, they're not adding a lot. Of, from what I could tell, they've added the repeaters, which is a pair of pistols. And the pistols themselves, they're essentially a uh, set of components that you throw together instead of a series of weapons like the other weapons are. Mm-hmm. Which are frustrating because the other weapons, you know, if you wanted to skip a particular weapon, you could because you could just go hunt the other ones. But there's no real skipping mechanic. There's all the weapons are essentially ballpark the same uh, power. But uh, leveling them up by using the orbs that you get in the daily patrols, which that's where a lot of the grind comes in, or I should say the initial grind, because I don't know late game grind. Uh, And also there's four different types of orbs, because of course there is. Uh, Skipping those weapons, you technically could, but there's no real benefit, because you're still going to need the fire weapon to deal with uh, the uh, behemoths that are weak to fire. You're going to need the thunder weapon for to deal with those. But the pistols, yes, you could build up something initially, but it requires rare drops. And to get anything beyond the barrels, which is your elemental type, you have to complete the quest, which is dealing an absolute ton of damage to behemoths, so you're giving yourself for quite a while to use that. It's just stupid. This is some of the worst free-to-play mechanics I've seen. And I've been playing mobile games lately. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a good game overall. It just makes me want to play Monster Hunter. Because Monster Hunter is a good game. It's got its problems, for sure, but it's a good game. Yeah, I imagine it's fun for more than five minutes like this one is. Oh yeah, because yeah, you know, you know, that first fight's uh, yeah pretty uh, interesting because you know it's you know your initial tutorial fight, and then uh, they introduce okay now go fight this one and this is essentially the same monster model but with one uh, extra mechanic to it or one different mechanic I should say not even extra mechanic, so it'll do a different attack, and then the third one is essentially the same model as the first only recolored with a fin on the back. Or I may have the second and third ones backwards, but you get the idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah, greatly, greatly disappointed. And I was aiming low on my uh, you know, expectations for this game. I wanted to try it out just to, you know, because I never really played Monster Hunter. But, yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I'm missing. Uh... Not really. I mean, it does the annoying type of battle pass where, oh, it has the, uh, uh, you run around town for uh, all the dailies instead of actually going doing something, which is, uh, yes, the Warframe one got a little annoying after a while when they started asking for, yeah, just obscene things, but at least got you playing the damn game 
It didn't have you going around petting dogs or hunting uh, for uh, 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 fire pits in town. <sighs> yeah, not a fan. Uh, I'm sure that's come across by now. <laughs> Indeed. It does. Uh, so what else you got? So I got a mobile game because, you know, I'm still on my mobile kick. Uh, Spell Sword Cards Origins. And, oh, how to put this. This is actually pretty damn good. Okay. All right. It has a, uh, the initial install is essentially the demo mode. It unlocks two of the five different races, two of the, five of the like eight or nine different classes and all the different paths, which I'll explain what those are in the different, uh, in a little bit. And to unlock the full game, it's two bucks. And then I unlock the full game just to try it out. And there's some actually interesting things going on here. So let's just go with character creation right away. This is Slay the Spire. Uh, there's some of the uh, of this type of game as well on uh, mobile, but it's a deck builder. Uh, with If this was on Steam, it would have a uh, roguelite on it and also psychological horror because everything is psychological horror uh, on it in Steam. Right. Uh, Makes b- sense. Uh, but you're essentially on a quest to try to defeat a lich. And you go through four areas and you're... Uh, Doing uh, your uh, fighting baddies, uh, leveling up, and building up your deck. And the interesting thing about this is, well, there's two interesting things about the card uh, mechanic to begin with. One is it has a discard mechanic that enables you to grant yourself extra uh, movements or extra actions. So this is one of those weird uh, CCGs, or actually not CCGs, but deck builders, that... Having a very lean deck may not be the way you want to play this because having a lot of card draw and having a few cards that you could toss at at any point is actually a tactical advantage because you're giving yourself more actions uh, by discarding excess cards. And this is also one of those that it doesn't discard your hand when your turn is through. So you're actually able to build up a fairly sizable hand to be able to do a big turn. But also, it has a segregation on its spell system and its melee system. So, melee is ran off the action points. So, more uh, melee-focused characters. Warrior, the ninja. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. The rogue the uh, and the ranger are the ones I can think of off the top of my head. You want to build up a more sizable deck where you have options to discard to be able to grant yourself more actions to do a lot more attacks in a single string, especially with certain equipment that may modify your character. But more caster characters, the mage, uh, the... uh, There's a paladin that's kind of a mixture of the two. Uh, There's a cleric that is uh, also a caster, of course. Is having those excess actions is useful, but... The spells are ran off mana, which does not regenerate. So you have to either have equipment that regenerates your mana or have cards that regenerate your mana, which requires a more card draw, but not so much of an action-oriented deck. So there's actually two different ways to play this, just on the two different types of classes. 
before you even start getting into the nuances of the different classes. And like I said, uh, there, I think there's nine or ten different classes. There's one that's still in, uh, 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 being built. The game is technically, uh, I would call it early access, but not really. There's one class that hasn't been introduced yet that's still in, uh, in the building phase, the monk. But each class has their own nuance. Like uh, warriors, as you discard, you also heal uh, yourself a little bit. So that uh, encourages a more card draw and discard heavy deck. Uh, the rogue has a combo system built into him. Uh, the necromancer has an ability that as you deal uh, more t- uh, as you cast spells, you build up essentially a counter that resets. Uh, rangers have the ability to summon uh, arrows uh, and put them into their uh, deck that uh, gets a multiplier off of a quiver mechanic that's built into their class. So each of the classes has a very different feel to them. Before you even start getting into the uh, kind of the random nature of you know, building your own deck. And seeing what you get, which I really enjoyed. And also, you can modify these by picking different races and different paths. So, each uh, run, you have four abilities. You have two out-of-combat abilities and two in-combat abilities. And that's dictated by your race. So, uh, actually, it's a combination of your race and your class. So, uh, there's uh, something going on there that I haven't quite figured out yet. So... Uh, like the paladin, no, 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 it is class uh, only. Sorry, uh, race is your passives, uh, which is something else entirely. So, uh, a paladin has the ability to upgrade the card for free every six battles out of combat, and also like would be able to go into combat with extra mana or something like that. I can't rem- remember the second paladin ability. Uh, the uh, mage has the ability to go into combat with extra mana as well and may be able to uh, uh, draw an extra card or something. Yeah, something along those lines. I can't recall the uh, out-of-combat abilities right off the top of my head, unfortunately. But also in combat, which are separate timers, I might add, all four of the abilities are, uh, the mage may have the ability to, if you have, uh, uh, it does a uh, arcane bolt that is, multiplied by the number of cards that you have to do just an obscene amount of damage that you can only use like once every six battles or something like that. Which also adds, like I said, to a, a bit of how you want to play them, but also you can kind of ignore them if you want. It's not necessary to beat the game. Uh, the one time I beat the game, I actually didn't use the abilities until uh, fairly late. So it's not as of a a requirement, but it does make life a lot easier if you build towards them. But the races uh, dictate the passives, and that's passive uh, combat abilities and also stat abilities. This is a deck builder RPG. So if you take, like, a dwarven mage, you're going to have a harder time because dwarves aren't as magically focused as, like, the elves are, or, like, the half-dragon race that's in this. So, building up your class and your race could both hinder you or help you. So, like, humans are, uh, once again, the uh, 
a jack of all trades, master and none. So they're okay fit for every uh, class. But taking a dwarven rogue is an interesting ability, has an interesting interaction in that the dwarves, because they're shorter, have an innate block mechanic. Every, uh, at the end of their turn, they generate one block charge that negates one physical damage, no matter what. So you can see how some of the interactions come into play. And then there's paths, which are a modifier to the deck. So uh, the Path of Nature, for example, has a lot of focus on poison uh, cards, but also a lot of healing cards. Uh, the path, of, uh, the red path, of course, would be fire. And you could also tune these. So if you take a path that has a lot of spells, well, you took a warrior that's also an, a half-orc which has pretty much no mana whatsoever, so you're screwed. <laughs> but if you take one that is more focused on actions, like uh, the Light Path has kind of a mixture of both, well, you could uh, ignore the spells that you get unless you get lucky with an equipment card that you get that generates a lot of mana. And uh, try to tailor your deck around a particular style of play. And also, once you beat the game, the path, the race, and the class that you beat the game with gets a small difficulty multiplier. I'm not 100% sure how that works exactly. But, like, let's say I took a... Uh, I think the race I took was Demon Spawn Warlock with the Death Path. So, you know, like, yo, I am, uh, I am become death, right? Right. Well, if I take that particular combination again, it'll be a lot more difficult. But if I take, like, a human warrior with the death path, which has a lot of necrotic damage, it uh, has a lot of discard mechanics, a lot of milling, essentially, uh, it's a little bit more difficult than if I took a, a human warrior with a fire path. But it's not overly difficult, so it's tuned a little bit. But if I keep using that same path over and over again, or that same class, or that same race... I'm going to make things a lot more difficult on myself, which is an interesting way to t try to tune the uh, difficulty mechanics in that, you know, it's trying to force you into playing multiple paths, multiple races, and multiple classes, instead of just focusing on what you're comfortable with, especially once you start being in the game more than one or two times. Uh, it sounds interesting. Yeah. I'm really tempted to download it myself. I w well, the, the demo is free. Can, no ads in it whatsoever. Paid, uh, I think it was two bucks to unlock it, uh, to get all the other stuff. It's definitely, ten... it's definitely worth at least downloading the demo mode to give it a try. I will say that I'm a little concerned about how things bounce out in the long run because of how they segregate the physical damage and the magic damage. But it also has some very interesting things like, uh, you know, particular combinations feel very overpowered, but I think that's also by design. Where the one time that I beat the game, and I actually came close a couple other times, so it's not you know a fluke thing, or at least in theory. Uh, the yeah. uh, the warlock I took uh, got very lucky on getting a lot of cards that remove actions from the enemy and causes them to discard cards in hand, and also start stuffing their deck with cards that. Uh, replace their cards and damage them when drawn. 
So you can see how things could kind of snowball with that uh, particular combination, huh? Indeed. So what I was doing to the final boss was I would cause him to discard his entire hand, essentially, or close to it, as I could, and I packed their deck with a bunch of skeletons to, uh, as they drew them, well, it exhausted the skeleton, which is a, you know, just, you know, get to, uh, you know, they discard it, essentially, or I should say, remove it from play, but uh, they don't get a replacement card, so it limits the computer's options. And there's one other interesting thing about this is that, <clears throat> well, well, there's actually a couple of interesting things. Uh, you may notice on these screenshots, especially uh, uh, the, I believe that's the second, uh, no, that's like the fourth one. Uh, you have three options at all times <clears throat> until you're towards the end of the area. Uh, each area has a total of 20 encounters, I believe. Uh, there's monasteries that allow you to discard uh, uh, one card for free. Then uh, uh, the second card's ten, uh, the third's uh, tw uh, twenty, and so on. It keeps ramping up. Blacksmiths allow you to upgrade. Uh, there's training grounds that allow you to combine different cards, and that's any card, but it also has a downside to it. So, like if you combine two uh, high cost cards to play, well, you just made a card that you may not be able to play it at all. But if you combine two cards that are you know, extremely useful together. It allows you to try to combo things a lot easier. But same thing. You know, first time it's free. Yeah, you know, the first hit's free, kid. And then it starts ramping mm -hmm. up in price. But the interesting thing is that you're able to skip encounters. So let's say, uh, you know, that Darkling. Well, that Darkling's a bastard. I, I'm not uh, in a good position to fight it. Well, I could just skip it. Yeah, I could just say, eh, I don't want to fight that. But I'm also giving up the experience I'm given, uh, or I would get in that fight. So there's a trade-off here. And every time you level up, depending on your class-race combination, you gain skills and stats. Uh, so you you know you may uh, you know like an elven mage may get a lot of mana uh, uh, to uh, start off a fight with. Which you can go over that mana cap, by the way. And that's just your initial mana. So, like, the, this particular screenshot, uh, I can't tell what class this is, but uh, they start off with 14 mana, 2 actions, and they draw 4 cards per turn. Well, different classes of different races get different stats. So, your next level up, you may gain another action, another card draw. But, also... On each level up, you get a choice of two cards, or you could say, I'll take a random stat upgrade, which uh, can be helpful or can be hurtful, or, or I should say, it's not really hurtful, but it's not you know, beneficial, it's just kind of a neutral upgrade, but you could do that to skip you know, cards that are particularly nasty, like there's some that, uh, whenever you draw, they're automatically played, there's some that would just sit in your hand and you don't want to deal with them and you have enough discard cards. Like I said, it's an interesting twist on the uh, deck builder mechanics. Yeah, the fact that they're trying to play into the idea of, you know, you don't have to have a very small deck. Uh, large decks can work. Especially with some of the classes that get just an obscene amount of card draw uh, through both class abilities and uh, uh, card mechanics. 
I will say uh, probably my uh, biggest complaint about the game is that the cards themselves, well, you can see uh, on one of the screenshots, it's just an icon and how much it costs to play it and what level that card is. It doesn't give any information whatsoever. And in order to uh, figure out what a card is that you aren't familiar with, you have to tap and hold on it, which slows down things. And uh, the same goes for an enemy, is that if, you, if the enemy plays a card that you don't recognize, well, you have to look at for in the tracker, and the tracker only holds so many. And towards the end of the game, card turns start to get a little obscene. <laughs> Finding the Lich on my winning uh, run... I was going through two thirds to three quarters of my deck per turn, just doing massive card draw, uh, massive discard, uh, playing a bunch of cards and having that many cards in your hand makes it very hard to tell what things are up cl- uh, until you start you know, tapping and looking. And that does slow down gameplay quite a bit. That, that's my biggest, biggest complaint about it. It's just how much a, a large hand could really slow down things. So, you know, that's a minor complaint in my opinion. That's something that you could probably get used to or maybe fixed later. Or the fact that, you know, maybe they could do it where uh, it's played in portrait or in landscape mode instead of portrait mode. But you know, it, it looks like they're sticking with portrait just because of the art. And also, yeah, there's not a lot of animations. There's some, but eh. uh, it's, uh, but I really had fun with it. Yeah, sounds really good. Sounds like it's up my alley. The fact that I give a glowing review to a mobile game, right? <laughs> it's happened a couple of other times before. Yeah, I mean, Galaxy Truckers, I think, was the last one. Yeah. But those are also both premium games. Well, I've got about 10 bucks on my Google Wallet from surveys I've been completing the last month or so. So. Well, Google made the mistake of asking me how I like Taco Bell when I got home. <laughs> not too good alrighty well is it my turn yeah I'm just trying to think if there's anything else really uh, only other thing I, I could really think of is that maybe in time there's uh, you know, you'll hit a kind of a brick wall on just how much uh, content's in the game oh it's two ninety, not not uh, $2 so 3 bucks uh, but uh, as you progress through the adventure you have a choice of one or two areas uh, each time and uh, each area has different uh, creatures, so it does vary a bit. Plus, you know, different uh, class race uh, path combinations it does uh, vary things up quite a bit. And I will say that the starting uh, hero screen, it doesn't really portray that. Oh, well, you could tap and scroll those. Because if you look at the uh, class uh, menu, it doesn't show it. So they could do something to fix that. Okie dokie. But uh, it feels like I'm uh, nitpicking at this point, doesn't it? A little bit. I understand, because I do it too, but yeah, a little bit. But I can't not complain. It's in It's in my blood, man. It's very true. Very true. Hey, don't you say that about me. <laughs> well, I'm going to do a little bit of complaining. Not too much, but a little bit. Uh, about my game, which uh, the only game I played this week that's new, but I did play quite a bit of it, was Mario Party 10, 
on Wii U. So I've had this game, or we've had this game, for months now. I can't remember if we got it for Christmas or even earlier than Christmas last year. But oh, the, the intent was killer. like, <laughs> the intent was like, oh, we'll get this. King's, you know, old enough to play some games now pretty well. We'll get him into this. It's something we all sit down and do as a family. And, um, it, like, we were digging around looking for some stuff and found it in the cabinet. I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot we got this. So, popped it in, and Katie and I played for, like, two and a half, three hours for date night, Wednesday night. And then we played some more on Sunday when we got home from my parents' house, which we went to for Mother's Day. And then... Uh, played some yesterday, and then played some today. So for anyone who doesn't know, Mario Party is sort of a board game, combination board game, mini game style game, um, where that you roll some dice, you move around the board, depending on what spaces you land on, things can happen, some of them are good, some of them are bad, and lots of mini games. Almost every turn... Uh, or every sort of round, which is everybody going one time. Like, almost every round has got a mini game in it. And there's been all kinds over the years that, you know, utilize different features based on what console they're on, or what console the game is on, or whatever. I mean, that's the gist of it. You play Mario characters, um, there's a, a goal, like, although this one is quite a bit different in a few ways from previous Mario Party games that I've played. The last Mario Party game that I played, I believe, was Mario Party 5? Maybe 6? Uh, How am I supposed to know um, this? Mario, I'm looking up right now. I sh- no, it wasn't even Mario Party 5, because that was on the GameCube. Oh, jeez. So the last Mario Party game I played was actually Mario Party 3. That was the last one that was on the N64. So... I thought I had played more because I I owned and played all three on the N64 and actually I've played one of the other Mario Party games in there in the middle but I don't know which one because I played it in my college dorm like I don't know in 2010 or 9 somewhere in the middle of of my time in undergrad but anyways they're all roughly the same and the mini games change and they add or remove small features here or there to sort of shake it up a little bit and the character roster changes a little bit um but otherwise it's basically the same game so with mario party 10 um with it being on the wii u the two things that they're or i guess the three things that they're going for all the trying to utilize are um sort of this asymmetric style of play uh for one of their game modes and then utilizing the extra screen on the tablet thingy um, to do different things during the game. Uh, that's the, the two main, like, things that they're doing from a console perspective. And then there's a lot of motion control stuff, although I, I would assume that had been in there since the whichever Mario Party first released on the Wii. Um, the fundamentals of the game have changed a bit for this one, although I hear they've changed back. So in Mario Party 10... And from what I was reading up, it seems like they did this in Mario Party 9 as well. Instead of everybody being separate characters on the board, everyone is in sort of a shared vehicle. Um, There are different types of, like, trains or carts or whatever based on sort of themed to whatever map you're doing in Mario Party 10. 
but everyone just takes turns from within the vehicle and whoever's turn it is gets to decide like if there's a, a, a fork in the path or whatever you get to decide which way to go and then everyone is just on that path now there is some interesting strategy to that because there are um you know areas that are going to have more negative things on the board or stuff that uh like there are these little gates that you run into that give you mini stars which are this game's equivalent of coins um but there's also ones that take them away. So you can set yourself up where that you'll avoid one, but the next person or one of the next people to go is definitely going to get hit by it and lose some stars. So there's some dick move. Yeah. There's some interesting strategy to it, but it also makes it a lot easier for a very small child to play because there's really only one thing to worry about. You're not trying to keep track of, and make a whole bunch of decisions about where your specific character is going and what you're going to do. Um, there's there's pros and cons to it. Um, it does make games a lot shorter as well. In the older Mario Party games that I've played, you kind of set how many rounds there were going to be. And like I said, a round is everybody gets to take a turn. So you could do, if I remember correctly, anywhere between like 10 and 30 rounds. And a 10-round game might last 20, 25 minutes. A 30-round game is going to last between two and three hours every single one of these that i've played so far only takes about 30 to 45 minutes depends on exactly how many additional random mini game space spaces that you land on um it's very easy for a kid to pick up and play my kid loves it some things he finds a little more boring like the puzzles that have to do more with or the mini games that have to do more with sort of puzzle solving or doing things like playing a matching game or whatever to defeat like a little boss enemy. Um, or to just generally win one of the more... They call them head-to-heads. Uh, where that it takes your stars out of your pool and like makes the winning pool out of for everyone. Uh, it, it takes five or ten of everyone's mini stars to create the pool for the victors. Those are usually something that require a little more skill and concentration. So that the sort of better player has a a better chance to win because Mario party is full of randomness. Um, but that's kind of part of his charm. But anyways, um, you know, aside from those types of games, my kid has picked up on everything fairly quickly and easily. It allows you to practice the mini games before you actually do them. So we, you know, do a practice round or two before everything. And, after that, he's usually got it. And he's at, even won a few of them, like outright, not like, oh, I'm going to let him win. But no, he's actually outright won a few of the mini games. So it's definitely pretty easy for small children to pick up and, and learn. Um, he also doesn't like any of the mini games that have to do with the motion controls because it's the, the motion controls are inconsistent. And as an adult, you can kind of learn how to deal with it. But children have a much more difficult time dealing with things that are inconsistent. And so he gets really frustrated trying to do anything with the motion controls. Unless it's just point an object on screen and press, you know, when you're pointing at it. Those are work fairly well. But anything that involves, like, shaking the Wiimote or turning it in one specific direction or trying to follow. Because there's one that's like, follow the pattern. It's kind of like a Simon Says type deal with the Wiimote. You've got to like move it around in the right way and push the buttons at the right time. But it doesn't always track your movement correctly. You know, as an adult, you can just kind of be like, well, that sucks, and then move on. But he's like, no, I want to... This isn't fair. I don't get it. And so, aside from those, he, he likes 
the mini games and you know like i said has even won a few of them um some other sort of wii u unique features so using the little tablet thingy um there are some second screen things going on uh if you're playing the standard game bowser is trapped in like a prison and once all six uh numbers on the die have been hit he breaks free of prison and comes out and starts terrorizing players on the map um and that's all like you can see all of that on the other words peach was asking for it by rolling the dice (laughs) pretty much but you can see that and keep track of that on the tablet um there's a a game mode so i guess i'll get from sort of the, the standard stuff to some more of the specific stuff there's a game mode called bowser mode which is an asymmetric multiplayer mode And one player plays as Bowser and uses the tablet, and the other four players uh, use Wiimotes and play on the TV. And uh, Bowser's trying to catch the other players by by rolling better dice than them. And uh, whenever he catches them, it forces, like, these battle minigames. I thought you were um, saying he's going to fuck them. uh, Well, I mean, that comes after he reduces their hearts to zero. Oh. And then he has his way with them. But yeah, I mean, the objective is Bowser is to defeat all of the opposing players in minigames and reduce their health to zero before they escape and you win. Um, I've kind of toyed around with that mode a little bit, but you definitely need a full party to play that. The AI is just too stupid. Even on higher difficulties, they're just too slow and dumb to make it fun. Um, And then there's something called the Amiibo mode. Which, you know, Amiibo, remember those things? Uh, I, I get, I think they still make them, but I haven't heard anything about them in a while. But anyways, if you have any of the Amiibo for characters that are in the game, you can use those in this Amiibo mode. And it plays much more like the classic board game, or the, the classic Mario Party sort of board game, where that each of the Amiibos are moving around on the board. Uh, almost like um, Monopoly pieces. And, uh, and you know, you're just games. As, uh, at the will of the dice in that, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, it, you know, it's cool if you want to play the the more classic mode with some friends or whatever. Because you don't have to have Amiibo. If you don't have any Amiibo, it just uses like generic looking human cutout things. Yeah, but why would like you Like a cardboard cutout. Because I don't want to spend 80 five dollars on an amiibo of mario i'll see you uh gotten old and responsible indeed you do have to admit that that. uh, the ape-bit mario amiibo was tempting for a moment i don't even have a nintendo console it's just that was the mario i grew up with right but that makes sense nostalgia Mm -hmm. but i didn't buy it um but then there's also a mini game challenge mode or minigame madness mode or something like that, where that it's just a whole bunch of minigames back-to-back, and it sort of scores everyone on, like, a point system, and, you know, the more you win, the more points you get to determine a winner. And it's got, like, a little shop, but, I mean, you earn... It feels so weird to say this, but you earn, like, a... a I think they're called Mario Party coins um, for playing... And completing games, and I'm not sure if it's somehow based on your performance or the place that you get uh, when you actually finish the game, but you can go in the store and spend the coins to unlock stuff. And I mean, it's it's fine 
like again it also feels weird to talk about this but you know after playing it as much as we did i've unlocked almost everything in the store especially all the big stuff like uh there's additional characters which i've gotten all of those and i've got all of the skins or skins and poses or no they, they just call them outfits outfits and poses for like picture mode so i can play dress up with my mario characters and make them do different poses um there's a couple of things that I'm missing. There's some like bonus soundtrack stuff that you can get to just listen to and some bonus artwork, which, you know, I've kind of saved those for last because I don't care about those as much. It's just playing the game. But, uh, and then there's also boss fights. So every time you play through the standard game, there's a mini boss that's halfway through and then a final boss. And these are these interesting cooperative, but also competitive mini games um, that you're working together to defeat the boss uh, by, you know, in classic Mario style, you know, jump on his head or making sure he gets shot by bullet bills or something like that. Um, so you're working together to make that happen, but you're also still trying to beat the other person because you get different uh, star rewards for whatever level you achieve against the boss. Um, so it'll do things like there's one of them, where that you're fighting, what is it called? A cheap cheap? Like the really big fish monsters from the underwater level of Mario, like a giant one. Um, and so everyone I believe has that's got. called a cheap. <laughs> but everyone has got uh, three green turtle shells that they throw at him. And every time somebody hits him, he goes, you know, he rotates and he looks at the next person. So, you know, it's cooperative in the sense of, like, well, you want to use all of your turtle shells every time to do maximum damage and finish this guy off really fast. But also, you want to make sure that you kind of maybe save one or maybe two of your turtle shells to get him off of you if your opponents twist him where he's facing you. Um, so, stuff like that. It, it Again, it's not too complicated. My kid picked up on it pretty quick when we got that one, but... Uh, each map, I'm not sure exactly how many maps there are. I haven't counted them. It's something like eight, I believe. Um, there's, you know, they've got a theme. One of them's like a, a, a theme park that is also Mario themed. Uh, one of them is like an underwater level that looks maybe like it borrowed pretty heavily from Zelda, uh, specifically Ocarina of Time. Um, so there's different ones. They each have, again, mostly just cosmetic flair. For the way that you know, like your vehicle looks and the way that the dice sort of show up and move around on the board, so and I, I, each map does have at least one unique thing. Like the underwater map has this eel that brings you treasure if you land on the eel treasure chest spot. So yeah, overall Mario Party Ten, I enjoy it quite a lot. Um, the thing that I that is the most annoying about it is the like that party system where that everybody's riding around in the same car that gets old quick. Cause it's like, Oh, but I want to go over there and try and get the thing or shoot for like a specific space or grouping of spaces and just hope I get it for whatever's there. You know, don't make me turn this but... car around. <laughs> um, so, you know, I find that a little bit frustrating, but also, uh, you know, it is, helpful to to have guaranteed shorter games because everybody's going at once and things like that so i don't know i like it but 
like it a lot, but there's a few things that sort of frustrate me about it. But yeah, I mean, unless you have any questions or comments or anything, uh, not really. I, mean, I never really played the Mario Party games. I played a little bit, but yeah, you know, not full party. Uh, yeah, you know, and, and depth enough to you know really go beyond the uh, you know, kind of the meme, I guess, for lack of a better term. That oh well, it's the game to end friendships. Yeah, it definitely is. This one is not as bad about that as older ones that I've played because there's no like stealing mechanics. There's no um, like you can't take coins from other players because coins not even a currency. There's just mini stars and then the regular stars, which are used to determine the victor. Whoever collects the regular star basically wins um, because it gives you so many points on your overall score. But. Yeah, that's not as much of a problem, what you you just mentioned. So, yeah, Mario Party 10. Very enjoyable. Great for kids. Good enough for adults, too. Well, that's ten, a ring endorsement. Out of, 10 out of something. Because <laughs> it's Mario Party 10. But it's yeah, definitely I'm not a, a 10 out of 10 game. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed it's not Mario Party X. <laughs> That would be good. But alas. There's an alternate universe where that exists. I just wait until they get to Mario Party 30. Uh, Then I guarantee they won't use the Roman numerals. Yeah. Alright. Well, that brings us to the end of our discussion about games we played. I need a quick break. I was about to say, I think I need another cup of tea. Because I ended up talking for a lot longer than I expected. Yeah, you talked for about as long as I figured you would. But that's okay. Not sure how I should take that. <laughs> I know you very well and how likely you are to talk about things for long periods of time. So, Especially when I'm grumpy about something, because I ended up talking more about Dauntless than I did anything else. Let's actually do the show, because it's 10 after 11. Get, uh, you know, get through it. Um, okay. So moving on to our first news topic of the evening. A loot box ban... Nope. A loot box ban bill to be introduced by U.S. Senator Josh Hawley. And then we've got an article piggybacking off of that. Talking about uh, Sweden investigating loot boxes. So... Yeah, um, uh, it's more loot boxes. I mean... Uh, but... Uh, uh, the bill in the U.S. is a really interesting one because it's not just loot boxes like the uh, title says. It's also right. going after pay-to-win mechanics and actually targeting mobile. That's why I find this so interesting. Because, okay, loot box ban. Big whoop, we've talked about this before, but going after the pay-to-win mechanics in mobile? Really? That's a pleasant surprise, actually. Yeah. What pleasantly surprises, well, at least just surprises me about it, is that it's a a Republican senator who proposed this. I mean, I'm not at the point where I think all Republicans are bad. It's just that it's so easy to label it because so many of them uh, just fall in line with a few uh, dickbags in uh, the leadership of the party. Yeah. I don't... 
believe that all Republicans are bad, just like I don't believe all Democrats are good, but you have to prove to me that you're not bad. I'm not going to give you too much benefit of the doubt. Like, if you show me something that's good, I'll be like, okay, that makes sense. I can believe that, you know, at least in this one area, you've got, you know, some good sense or uh, the people's best interest at heart, something like that. But, yeah, I was surprised when I read that because I was like, I don't know who this person is because he's from Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I saw, you know, Republican senator from Missouri. And I'm like, okay. And whoever it is on his staff that wrote this, um, the proposal, like, they know their stuff. Um, it's pretty short. Let's go ahead and read it. It'll, um, it says uh, the, the most abusive. Press release. Of, uh, yeah, the press release from them. Uh, so the most abusive of such practices are pay to win pay to win games take two forms in some cases designers engineer games with artificial difficulty curves to induce players to spend money on upgrades simply to progress these games are often offered for free enticing players to download and even offering them a false sense of progression upon initial download before artificially increasing difficulty to induce compulsive purchases in other cases designers create multiplayer games offering players who purchase paid upgrades competitive advantages over other players and then the second bullet point, loot boxes. Loot boxes incorporated both in free and paid games offer players randomized rewards for spending money, combining the addictive properties of pay-to-win with the compulsive behavior inherent in other forms of gambling. So the way that that's worded makes it at least seem like that someone or a group of people on that team did their homework. Or maybe they're, you know, gamers themselves, so they've got first-hand experience with it. I, you know, I have no idea, I mean, but it, uh, gaming is uh, yeah, much gaming more mainstream is, yeah, than it used yeah, to be. Yeah, gaming is a lot more open, especially if you clump in mobile gaming, which I, uh, I've joked about, you know, mobile gaming before. But at the same time, you know, I, I do play my mobile games. I mean, I played one uh, for this week. And it's a lot more prevalent, uh, both of these, in mobile than it is mainstream gaming, at least for now. So someone that, you know, uh, even just goofs around with something like Candy Crush, you're going to notice very quickly, oh, wow, there's a lot of payroll in mechanics in this. Yeah, which Candy Crush is full of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, just so. the, just the blast, uh, blast Match 3, is that the proper term for it, uh, are full of uh, those pay-to-win mechanics. And that's one of the most casual uh, and most... In- uh, grabbing games out there until you get to something like, you know, like Pokemon Go or something that's, uh, you know, uh, it's not even Walking Simulator. It's a uh, Walking Encourager. Yeah. Uh, maybe we should make that the uh, genre name, Walking Encourager. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but anyway, I do think that just because how open it is in uh, the mobile market, uh, you know, that's why we're going to see, you know, it, I'll be shocked if this doesn't pass, which, you know, it is a toss up just because of just how utterly stupid U.S. politics is these days. Uh, I think we're just going to see this come up again and again and again until if uh, something like uh, in the I, I always hate the names of these, the Protecting Children from Abusive Games Act. That feels so manipulative, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that's how a lot of this legislation is directed. Oh, we have to save the children. Yeah. Well, also, but, uh, the fact that if you vote against it because of some article in it or something that you don't agree with, 
especially yeah, can uh, say, especially oh, if they add something uh, an amendment to it because you know uh, that's how, oh uh, the Patriot Act is a good example of that. Not uh, not counting the whole you know uh, how rushed it was th- uh, to get uh, through in the first place, but uh, get, voting against something called the Patriot Act, really? <laughs> yeah. Um. So I guess. It, I guess it's been about a year. Yeah, uh, the, ho- the Hawaii last one? year, where, yeah, the Hawaii one. Um, you know, I remember us talking well, well, about it was, that. And yeah, saying, it was uh, with Battlefront too. So, yeah, but I, I remember us talking about that and saying, you know, this is going to get the ball rolling. Um, doubt this first one will pass. A little but... over a year, February thirteenth, two thousand eighteen, is the Polygon article. And that's about ballpark of where all this starts gotcha but you know i remember us saying something along the lines of like we doubt this one will pass but if it's happening you know here in the states um then it's this is going to start to become a larger issue and i mean here it is already a republican senator from missouri felt either strongly enough about this or his constituents felt strongly enough about it that he's deciding to propose you know something and the fact that it's, you know, in just one year has gone from Hawaii to Missouri, I think speaks a lot to how much traction this and has jump gained. Parties. Yeah, and jump parties speaks a lot to how much traction this has, has gained. And I mean, when it comes to stuff like this, the United States is uh, pretty difficult to get any sort of consumer protection or any sort of... Yeah, we'll be talking uh, about that Consumer later. rights... Uh, but the, but the flip side of this, and I alluded to this before, that you know once a law gets on the books, it's hard to get it pulled off. Uh, and no, I'm not good about to defend loot boxes or pay to win mechanics, but I'm you know a little concerned about you know amendments to these bills, yeah, you know, because uh, the ESA uh, ESA is a big lobbyer, so. You know, if they pass something that, you know, pretty much just blunts the teeth of this, it, you know, it's going to be, you know, oh, well, it's a feel good law and that's about it. Or on the flip side of that, if a hugely anti gaming uh, politician uh, adds something that, you know, makes it so that uh, any game that could be considered to have pay to win, uh, even though, you know, it may not be, which, you know, once you get to pay to win mechanics, that's also starts to get kind of a blurred line because what constitutes pay to win are boosters pay to win. Uh, obviously, you know, buying you know, a plus one infinity sword is pay to win. But what if uh, uh, they word it where cosmetics could be considered pay to win? What if they uh, could uh, have it where um, uh, just space uh, to use the Warframe example if you want to stretch it to the absolute extreme, even though Warframe is a kind of a bad example because it's not directly PVP uh, for most things, is buying is having the option to buy additional character slots or additional uh, bank space, essentially, considered a pay-to-win mechanic. It all comes down to how it's worded. And that's why I'm a, I got a little leery and I'd much rather have the... Uh, the game industry regulate itself, but they've shown time and time again that they're absolutely incapable of it. So that's yeah. why, you know, I'm, 
I'm pretty sure it's going to have to come down to rule of law. And that also, you know, does make me have pause and that does, you know, concern me because once it gets to the point where it's on the books, it becomes a lot harder to change it. And we also have found that the games industry will try to skirt around and be absolutely scummy when it benefits them greater than a fine would. So, you know, that's, that's why I'm, I'm not ready to take this as a victory yet, but to having it be another step forward and it all comes down to what one of these laws is the one that gets through. Is it going to be one that has a sensible wording like this? Or is it going to dictate pay to win in a very broad term and make it as about as useful as the uh, ESRB's, you know, paid uh, microtransaction label? Yeah, you also run the risk of being too specific as well. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a certain point where that spe- specificity makes it much easier to have loopholes because you can be like, well, the law specifically says if it has, XYZ. If it has a roulette mechanic or a slot machine mechanic. Well, certainly everything has a bingo mechanic. Yeah. Or it's but, like a, uh, a hand of poker. Or, you know, pr- uh, pull another uh, random uh, casino game out of your ass, right? Yeah. Maybe I'll actually uh, be able to explain the rules of Baccarat so I could understand it. <laughs> the one-time loot boxes did something good. <laughs> <clears throat> so, I mean, I, I give this... I, I don't think that this is quite the point of no return yet, although if it's not, it's very close. Well, also, like, the I... FTC is still holding the public workshop. And... I still remember the ESA uh, figureheads uh, yeah, trying to talk their way around loot boxes before, which was hilarious. Uh, I'm sure that there's going to be some fun, uh, you know, little sound bites out of that public workshop. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I cut you off there. No, you're fine. Um, but anyways, you know, I, I think there's still a chance, be it a very slim chance, mostly because the fact that the ESA and the ESRB specifically in the United States and the other parts of the world where they cover, like I just don't see them actually doing anything except, you know, sort of fighting it with their lobbyists and things like that. But if this has gone to, you know, the South and jumped parties, I think that this is sort of a a sign that the days of an unregulated video game industry are, are numbered. Which I re- still remember the violence in video games uh, hearings. Uh, I didn't watch them myself, <laughs> but you know, I grew up he- hearing about it and looking back on it and seeing how the games industry was constantly trying to you know, throw each other under the bus to uh, make themselves look good. So I, I honestly don't think, the- oh, boy, this is going to uh, probably uh, be taken out uh, or bad out of context, but I don't think the games industry has grown up enough where they won't try to do that again if it comes down to it. Yeah. I mean, this was Sega and Nintendo that were trying to throw each other under the bus. Uh, imagine what happens when more scummy developers and uh, publishers uh, get uh, have a hand in it. Can you imagine the argument EA is going to try to make? <laughs> 
No, because whatever I imagine, they're going to figure out how to make it way worse. Yeah, Blizzard just uh, asked, don't you have phones? Indeed. Which is not a good argument in this case. (laughs) No, it's not. But it'll be interesting to see just how things go. And also it really comes down. This is a press release. This is not the bill. This is not even a rough draft of the bill. This is uh, essentially a call to action to try to push towards some sort of resolution on this. So we'll have to see how things go. Um, Especially, like I said, modern politics in the U S has gotten way dumber than I think anyone could take credit or or could believe if they're not actively following it. So having something uh, rather common sense and somewhat sane sounding is a a rather nice breath of fresh air, but I don't expect it to go anywhere just yet. But I do think, like you said, this is a sign for things to come. Yeah. Mixed feelings. Mixed feelings. (laughs) Feeling conflicted. But yeah, we also have, uh, we didn't really talk about it, but Sweden also chiming in to investigate loot boxes. So, you know, they're, uh, they didn't investigate it before, did they? So this is a new one, right? Yeah, I don't remember them investigating it before. Yeah, it would be nice if that link actually worked, but it doesn't. But uh, not a lot going on here in this article. It's just um, speaking on behalf of the industry, uh, uh, we welcome this initiative. So this is the... Oh, that I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce what... Uh, either that person's name or what they're the spokesperson of. (laughs) (laughs) The Uh, Minister for Public Administration, Ardalan Shikarabi. But that's definitely wrong. There's got to be like an umlaut or something that should be there. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, They instructed the Swedish Consumer Agency to review customer... uh, uh, protection measures for lottery or casino-like elements in games to ensure that they are significantly protecting consumers, particularly children and young adults. But uh, on behalf of the industry, we welcome this initiative. Uh, this is... I, I have no idea what, uh, <laughs> what this guy's supposed to be. Uh, we agree that uh, it is the consumer protection issue rather than a gambling regulation, as some have suggested. Uh, this is the game industry in Sweden, by the way. Uh, I'm just not... I'm not willing to try to pr- tackle that pronunciation. And welcome and support the guidance in protecting the consumers. The industry has, uh, of course, already taken... Uh, has, of course, already taken action in light of criticism, though the uh, introduction of new indicators in the age rating system in and in Sweden, we are in the process of starting a scientific advisory council on the responsible game design. Uh, not limited to business models. Boy, that sounds a lot better than the ESA just uh, you know, slapping uh, it contains microtransactions on literally every game ever, right? Yeah. Contains in-game purchases or online purchases or, yeah. or whatever it was that it said. Yo, an abs- uh, um, a label that is by design absolutely pointless. Mostly because it 
doesn't even indicate what it is. It could be, you know, it could just be a cosmetic. It could be that shiny sword. Uh, it could be the I shiny think it sword was with DLC also. Yeah, yeah, DLC. It was expansions. anything that could be bought. I believe the indicator was anything that could be bought within the game itself. So, practically any game that has DLC that's came out in the last what, like five years, especially on Steam, because I know a lot of games that has an option to buy DLC, and all it does is it opens up the Steam overlay and it goes to the store page. Well, that triggers the flag for the ESA. Yeah. So, yeah, a, a nice change in a uh, bringing of common sense. I, I think that's uh, something that we could all use a little bit more of these days. Agreed? I agree wholeheartedly. So, next topic? Next topic. A new Final Fantasy VII remake trailer shows Aerith, Sephiroth, and action combat. Aerith. They're going with Aerith now? Uh, isn't it supposed to be Aerith? I think it's supposed to be. I don't know if that's a typo or if they uh, changed I'm, it. I'm, I'm kind of joking because the North American version is Aerith. But then again, the North American version of Final Fantasy VII, it actually has a pretty bad translation on it. <laughs> a shockingly bad right. translation when you start going into things. I started watching a speed run from Games Done Quick uh, from like two years ago. Uh, it's kind of become my background noise if I'm not wanting to watch something that's actively, uh, you know, I have to pay attention to. I'll put it on a game that I know somewhat well, a, a speed run from Games Done Quick, because they usually have some pretty good, like, behind the scenes knowledge or some sort of little quirk about the game. And uh, they were uh, uh, talking a, a little bit about the debate between the two, but also talked about how bad the translation is. Like on one of the opening bosses in Final Fantasy VII, uh, it was the uh, Scorpion tank. They mistranslated the hint that you weren't supposed to attack when its tail is up to uh, because that's when it counters. But because they mistranslated it, they said, attack now that the tail is up instead of don't attack now. And they were talking about how many times it killed them when they were a kid. <laughs> so, huh. That's interesting. Sucks, but it's, it's interesting. It's just one of those things, uh, yeah, looking back at it and hearing them talk about it, it's like, wow, that wow, they did rush that. But then again, this was also before JRPGs. Uh, I, I can't really say made it big in, the, uh, in North America because, yeah, the previous... Final Fantasies, Chrono, uh, uh, Cross, uh, no, Chrono Trigger, sorry, Chrono, uh, uh, Chrono Cross is the, uh, PlayStation one. I always confuse those two. And, yeah, uh, all the very popular JRPGs on the Super Nintendo, but Final Fantasy VII was the first one that was essentially mainstream in North America. I, I remember the commercials on TV. That, you know, it was just the uh, FMVs playing. You know, it, it gave no idea what the story was or really even what type of game it was, if I recall correctly. But, you know, that brand awareness, right? Yeah. So this has been a, a call to uh, remaster the game for ages. 
I mean, ever since like the PlayStation 2 era, people have been calling for a remake of Final Fantasy 7. It's like the the beloved child of the Final Fantasy series. And I believe it was the PlayStation 4 they uh, did a kind of a teaser to show off the graphics and one of the scenes that they used was the opening train sequence from Final Fantasy 7 which, you know, got people all frothy again. Well, yeah. Uh, then they announced, okay, we're going to uh, do a remake of Final Fantasy VII. It's going to be episodic. And then they showed nothing for years. And now we have a new trailer. And it's showing that it's going in kind of like the Final Fantasy XV uh, route, where it's all kind of real-time active battles instead of the traditional turn-based mechanics. And also there was people calling it racist because of how Barrett talked. Did you uh, have you heard anything about that? No, it didn't sound racist to me. But honestly, I wasn't paying super. Uh, he sounded to a it. little Mister T ish, which maybe it's uh, me, but that's not quite how I pl- pictured him talking, especially with the uh, uh, the manner of uh, text that he used. But you know, I imagined him in a similar voice like that. You know, I actually did the same playing it. Not exactly Mr. T, but sort of close to it. Same voice, similar inflections. Uh, especially just... Just a lot yeah. less of, like, I pity the fool. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, hearing the uh, characters uh, talk, uh, especially, you know, this isn't the first time we've heard this cast of t- characters talk because, you know, the Final Fantasy VII movies, you know, they, they have voices in that. But uh, this is uh, kind of just a teaser for the E3 announcement because they talked about what well, we're going to find out more in June at E3 uh, with Sony. So this is, pro- I'll be actually shocked if uh, it's not a timed exclusive on PlayStation at this point, just with how Sony yeah. is uh, heading the, uh, yeah, heading this, but it looks like it's still going to be episodic, which is a bit annoying, but at this point, I think they're kind of stuck into that, which episodic games is, kind of died out for the most part yeah it's just the uh life is strange life is strange and, and, that's really well, the life only is strange and I, and I, would, I, I would say uh some of the uh indie story based games uh there was uh the council i believe it was that was also episodic that was pretty recent but you know there's not a lot of episodic games so seeing that is a little bit weird but also you know, Final, like we talked about ages ago, Final Fantasy, especially the PlayStation 1 era, has natural story breaks in where they change the discs. So if they base it around that, that actually makes a lot of sense if they want to try to get the first portion out early. But at the same time, who wants to play a portion of a JRPG? Yeah, not me. I mean, you know, one portion at a time until I pass out <laughs> and then start up again once I'm not passed out anymore. Well, I hope you saved before then. <laughs> yeah. I will say graphically, it's rather impressive looking, though. They went with a, It does look good. Yeah, they went with a, a fairly realistic look, which for some characters, it's, you know, it's a little bit off-putting, especially Cloud, because they have to give him the spiky hair. It's like, how much hair gel does that guy use, right? Uh, that's why the planet's dying. It's not, uh, you know, uh, the, Shin- uh, the Shinra Corporation sucking out all the life force. 
uh, the ozone layer is gone because clouds used all the hairspray in the world to get the spiky look, right? Yeah, that checks out. But it's going to be, uh, you know, uh, we'll see during E3, but this is one of those kind of morbid curiosities I have just because this has been going on for years now, just the remake, let alone, you know, just the fandom of Final Fantasy VII, which I'll come out and say it's not the best Final Fantasy uh, on PlayStation because Final Fantasy IX exists. Yeah, I'm the... I mean, we've had this discussion before. I'm extremely partial to Final Fantasy VIII. Yeah, which you're allowed to be wrong. (laughs) So are you. But I'm not. On some things, but you are on this. (laughs) Yes, I know you are on this. (laughs) I know you are, but what am I? Uh, but that is one thing that's nice about the Final Fantasy series is that because, well, each group of games is kind of its uh, enclosed thing that uh, different people have their different preferences for Final Fantasy. So it's not a series that caters to just one audience. Well, that's not entirely true because JRPG, but you know, you, you could have a favorite that's catered to you a little bit more because you may like the draw system or I may like the more fantasy theme. Yeah. Choices. Yeah, this, Yay, choices. this is going to be interesting to see just how this turns out. I'm, I'm, I'm still aiming kind of low on expectations. Just because, Same. Uh, just because of... Uh, it feels like this is going to be wit, uh, running uh, on a lot of nostalgia. I'm worried they're going to take out a lot of the stuff that made Final Fantasy VII so good, too. Well, they are. To well, they start trying to try and streamline. Well, they talked about at one point on the previous remake because this is, uh, this uh, thing has gone back to the drawing board at least once, and it's gone through a complete remake. They talked about removing the uh, red light district area. Remember when Cloud has to cross dress to try to save Aerith or Eris at one point. They talked about yeah. cutting that out or streamlining it uh, pretty uh, strongly at one point. I'm not sure if that's still going to be a thing. I just wonder if they're going to have DLC so Aerith doesn't die. Oh, spoilers, by the way. On a 20-year-old game. <laughs> yeah. Two ninety nine. Save her from Sephiroth. That's, you know, that is one kind of thing I, I miss, all right? Uh, this is going to be the old man portion of the show. I kind of miss the old gaming rumors. Yo, uh, oh yeah, I was just thinking. Like uh, the, I remember yeah, all of the things yeah, the, they said you could do to save her. Yeah, all the rumors about how Aerith would uh, uh, be able to be brought back, even, uh, and that was kind of fueled by this one particular glitch. Like I said, the Final Fantasy VII North American release, at least, or I should say, the initial one, because. Final Fantasy VII saw like two or three major re-releases before the great greatest hits version, which was another full patch. This was, uh, you know, back before you could just download the patch and be up to date. Uh, one of the scenes in the church where you, uh, where her flower garden was, uh, it would sometimes glitch out, and you would see essentially a ghost of her for a split second, and that fueled so many rumors of all the different things you had to do or. Uh, could do 
Or uh, another one was like the old Pokemon games, that, that one truck. Yeah, I remember actually trying to do that with that truck. Realizing it was garbage and then getting <clears throat> excuse me, then getting mad. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing I kind of miss because uh, a lot of what uh, modern gaming is is a lot of data mining and a lot of uh, yeah, trading back and forth of very specific information like, well, the speedrun I'm uh, watching. Uh, they actually figured out how the battle system works or the random encounter system works. It works on a, a step counter. So they've actually pathed out how many steps you need to do to get fights on certain areas to be able to learn certain skills or to avoid certain fights. To the point where at some points they uh, intentionally walk to either raise or lower the uh, step counter. Which is fascinating, but at the same time, you know, it kind of uh, moves some of the mystique of the game as well. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, but part of me also wonders that they're going to try to include some of the, you know, kind of the rumors and stuff. There's a lot of possibility on this, but, you know, it's... Uh, this is also a remake and not a remaster. That's also... I think people just wonder a remaster. And the fact that they're changing it... I think is going to put off some people. It'll be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think it will too. I think it'll put off a lot of people. Hey, something to look forward to in E3. All the bitching. Woo! Oh, don't worry. I will contribute my share. (laughs) But likely not uh, uh, directed towards this. Directed towards something else that's not on the docket today. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Okie dokie. Uh, moving on to our next news topic, we're going to talk about court stuff again. The U.S. Supreme Court says Apple can be sued for monopolization. So this is another one of those cases. Well, this one, it doesn't directly have to do with gaming just yet. Um, but the uh, Apple is in a class action lawsuit for the high prices and things. The or no. They were in a class the action highs, for the wall garden. Yes. The the high um, percentage cut that they get uh, app developers and people are saying that, that in order to compete, or not compete, in order to make money, they're having to raise their prices too high. Yeah, so. their charge is 30%, by the way, which seems familiar, doesn't it? Indeed, it seems like a certain uh, a valve for letting off some steam. Um, but anyway, so while <laughs> while this doesn't doesn't at this point necessarily have to do with gaming, well, gaming does have a chance I mean, to be affected. Well, well, no, it would be affected because it's the Walt Gordon uh, App Store, so it would be affected on the mobile side of things directly. But you're also looking at the fact that this uh, could impact consoles. This could impact. Uh, I don't think it would impact. Uh, PC gaming as much, but there is a chance because it depends on how they determine uh, uh, determine the phrase "walled garden." Is any game store where the uh, product tied to it, or is tied to that particular store considered a walled garden, or any store that has an exclusive? Because if so, you know every store that doesn't sell exclusively third party games is considered a walled garden. And yes, I am including Steam on that. I'm including Epic Game Store 
origin, uh, you play all of them. Yeah, that definition of what a walled garden is is going to wind up being is the interesting bit. Because if it does happen to be just an exclusive title, then everyone is kind of in in a bad way. Because every platform holder has exclusive titles. Even on PC, each, you know, as we see more and more uh, companies, developers, publishers, whatever, sort of spin off of one or a few major uh, marketplaces to create their own, then they're bringing essentially exclusive titles to their, air quote, walled garden. So if it's just defined by exclusives, I think everybody's screwed. I couldn't imagine them doing that because, it, although, you know, I'm not a legal expert or anything Well, it like also that. depends on not just how tech-savvy the Supreme Court is. Yeah. Well, I couldn't imagine them doing that, though, because if you think of, like, compared to sort of brick-and-mortar stores, like, they can have their own exclusive items or self-produced things that they sell that don't fit under the same sort of clauses. But I mean, you know, the digital marketplace is a a wholly separate entity. So, you know, it might help sort of with the initial thoughts about it, but we can't necessarily use that as precedent. But well, they could also take the more hardline stance where uh, Apple makes it, it's not impossible, but it's damn hard to install third party apps without using uh, their walled uh, garden. So there is a possibility that, you know, we're diving a little too deep on this and, you know, we're panicking when we really shouldn't be. But, uh, you know, prepare for the worst and hope for the best. Yeah. And expect something sort of in the middle somewhere. That's still kind of shit. But I mean, yeah. But it was an interesting topic, just like, how could this potentially affect gaming? I mean, it will you know, no matter what effect. Uh, uh, on uh, the bubble side of things, uh, at least for uh, Apple uh, users, of course, because, yeah, I, I looked into that a little bit because I'm at, I'm, I've never really used an iPhone. I had absolutely no interest in it. Uh, so I've been Android the entire way. So I had to look into it just a little bit and it's rather absurd. <laughs> and that's, you know, not counting jailbreaking, of course, because, you know, then that's its own thing. Yeah. I mean, that's one of, that's a huge reason for why I don't like Apple products. I've had to have a couple for, uh, school when I was working in my master's program, we had to have iPads or iPhones, um, I've had one for work purposes and I just, I hate how constricted they are among other things. There's a lot of stuff I don't like about, uh, the iPad and iPhone line pretty much across the board, just their sort of basic design philosophy. But you know, on the software end, like I can't stand how locked down it is. And even if I'm not super likely to use, you know, something that they deem whatever unsafe or just hasn't coughed up whatever money they demand like it's just it's just you'd rather not drink your verification can yeah i'd rather not drink my verification can thank you very much (laughs) yeah someone just discovered a certain uh, story by the way (laughs) yeah that was hilarious don't know how i've missed it over the years because according to you it's been around a while but oh yeah pretty much every time uh, uh, some draconian uh, drm came out uh, that made the rounds again that's why I'm a little shocked that you never saw it. 
Well, it happens. Uh, but yeah, I just like uh, Android just for the flexibility. Plus, I can uh, run pretty much anything I want. To be fair, you know, that's also kind of a downside as well because, you know, uh, I've had apps that just refuse to work properly because my phone is too new now or before my phone was too old. <laughs> right. Or, you know, there's uh, stories quite often about just, you know, key, uh, key loggers. There's uh, stories about uh, Bitcoin miners. There's stories about just uh, uh, phishing attempts uh, through uh, apps. Uh, there was actually one I saw just last night. This is more of a proof of concept for the new uh, Samsung Galaxy line, but uh, there was someone that figured out a very particular uh, flaw in the in the One UI that could actually uh, soft brick the phone uh, that uh, could be uh, just installed on, onto an app, and you know uh, anybody that's running a Galaxy S10 is uh, kind of screwed uh, in using it. To be fair, it's got more of an annoyance than anything else because you have to reboot the phone, go into safe mode, and delete the little app. But you know, there's still you know that niggling you know what if there's something worse out there. But at the same, right. but at the same time, you know, I'm not beholden to whatever a bunch of suits with turtlenecks uh, decides I should be using. Yeah, I mean, you there are definitely a, a few pros and cons to each side, but I just prefer having the the choice. You know, I'm knowledgeable. I can figure it out. I'm experienced with you know all things tech, pretty pretty much. So I like being able to sort of figure it out on my own, have the flexibility to do what I want. Yeah, I have to admit that uh, the Galaxy line of phones feels a lot more robust than the iPhone these days. Oh yeah, the I mean the Galaxy line of phones has been more robust than the iPhone for a long time. I know I'm comparing flagship to flagship essentially in that, but uh, even the lower end uh, Android phones, you know, they feel a lot more feature complete. Outside of just you know little uh, things here and there, so that's that, that's why I'm kind of you know eh, uh, on uh, Apple in general. But the fact that you know we're looking at this now uh, on top of the loot box bill is an interesting time for gaming. <laughs> it is indeed. Yeah. And it turns out um, we are living in interesting times in uh, both gaming and politics. Dark times, but interesting. So are you ready to go talk about our final large topic, which is situated Technically in Community Corner. Yeah, I think so. Let me just All have right. a cough drop. Well, you pop that cough drop while I chat up what we're going to be doing. We're going to scoot on over to Community Corner just to put this here because Jim submitted us this video a couple of weeks ago. Not quite yeah, exactly two weeks, but yeah, I got weeks. Well, uh, on release day, it'll be two weeks. Uh, he sent it to me on the 3rd and... I sent it to you, I think, uh, on the 4th, and we decided together on the 7th that, yeah, maybe we should uh, watch some of the re uh, responses to this, because there was a lot of arguments in this that uh, felt like they needed to be more thought out. So, I went to our favorite copyright attorney and watched his stuff on it. Leonard French. Let's just take a minute, though, 
Uh, so uh, to, to, well, to, I think we should uh, thank Jim for sending this in first, even though it did take us a couple of weeks to get to it. Uh, but it's more we wanted to be prepared for it. Yeah. Um. So the video uh, titled Our Games as Service Fraud, which was produced by or created by Cursed Farms, um, is a very lengthy. The video is, I think, an hour and 17 minutes long um, or something like that. It's well over an hour. Well, well, he doesn't say are. He says games as service is fraud. There's no question on it in his mind. Yes, I guess is fraud. Because games as service would be singular because it's an idea, mm-hmm. essentially. And I'm calling it a plural just because games as service. But whatever. Um, whatever. Grammar. Syntax. I'm bad at that. But anyways, it's a very lengthy video exploring from sort of a layperson's perspective the legal side of it to the best of his knowledge and, and research and um, then giving examples and talking through trying to sort of dissect this idea about them being fraud. Uh, and it, the first, what, 20, 30 minutes of the video discusses the legal definition well, of fraud. Uh, he goes... Uh into what he considers games of service for the first 15 then i would say a good uh 15 20 minutes is just the legal definition of fraud and going through different posts uh, on various sites and various uh uh law uh, definitions and that's where i kind of had a problem with it is that uh he uh is going a little overboard on that. Uh, now, I want to come out and say this before we get started. I am not defending games of service here. But uh, I do agree with Leonard French on this, and I realize I'm also jumping the gun on this, that fraud is a very specific term in a legal case. And calling them fraud is a little bit of a misnomer. Anti-consumer, I think, would be a lot more poignant uh, and well and also more powerful but yeah fraud is a lot more sexy (laughs) so i also am not a lawyer obviously not a legal expert uh i don't even play one on tv i did watch a leonard fritch video and uh i do play it and i'm staying at holiday and express at some point but um (laughs) But this is interesting. I don't have, like, exactly a diametrically opposed view to you, but I do agree with him a lot more. And and maybe this just comes down on how sort of I approach, like, people's feelings being very legitimate and a way to help guide the way you approach the world. But, I mean, games of service do oftentimes feel like fraud. It does feel oftentimes like you're being sold, you know, a bill of goods or an incomplete, you know, product that is never delivered upon. And I think some of that is definitely set up by nature and the way that they're designed to run on forever. Um, you know, with no definite end of life or end of life plan. I think some of the things that, um, a cursed farm says in the video do seem kind of unreasonable. He talks about end of life plans specifically and how that it's, uh, very easy to set up. And he had a conversation with one developer, according to him, who said it would be very easy to set up these sort of end of life plans, put out some kind of code or something that someone could stand a chance of recreating a server. Yeah, which I think that oversimplifies that issue. Well, not just and oversimplifies, we don't know... but also, uh, 
because he's talking to a uh, potentially a singular person, it, let's face it, a lot of the games of service out there are in the double and triple A uh, markets. And the way gaming is built these days is through intellectual properties and copyrights. I think we can both agree on that one, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, End of life plan. Let, let, let's pick on Warframe again, since that's the one I'm most uh, familiar with, and that's the one that I have the most investment in. Let's say Warframe announces tomorrow they're shutting down in uh, a month. Well, uh, according to his plan, they would have to have some sort of uh, end of life plan to put out a code to be able to reasonably rebuild Warframe or the server side uh, uh, portion of it, which is. Not as much as uh, like the division, which is the, what he kept going to over and over again, or the division two. Uh, but we don't know exactly what intellectual properties or what licenses is involved in the net code and in the server ar- architecture, or uh, the uh, AI or the uh, loot systems or anything. So we're making a lot of assumptions here that. The developer even owns the items that he is calling for him to have to be able to release. And I think that's the important point here is that uh, intention is good and all. And, you know, maybe that one developer is right in that, you know, uh, for certain project, it is you know, a couple hours or a day's worth of work. But it's not an overarching statement. And for some developers... It may just be the fact that they would love to, but they literally cannot because they don't own the license to the net code or to a certain aspect of the game that is required uh, to make it function. They don't have the license to distribute that, so they can't. Yeah, and depending on uh, something else that wasn't really covered, I don't think that I don't that he covered was um, the the code or. Uh, the server architecture or whatever might also be part of someone else's intellectual property or, you know, patented in some way. They can't just be released under sort of like a trade secrets type of clause. I mean, he did cover that ramifications for the people doing that. He did cover a little bit saying that, well, uh, it shouldn't be a problem uh, if the other games uh, that they work on use a similar thing because, uh, hackers may be able to reverse engineer it because they should have security, which sounds incredibly simplistic. Right. Well, that's not exactly what I'm talking about. Just I like, know. What I know. If... That, that was the only time he really ever covered the back end of gaming. Yeah. The, the, uh, the stuff hidden under the hood, the engine, the, the net code and everything else. But that was the right. only time he ever really covered it was that, well, they shouldn't uh, have to build their, uh, uh, they shouldn't be building their games where getting that information out uh, should uh, damage a future titles anyway, which is incredibly simplistic. Yeah. So, I mean, one game that I do have experience with this, which I've talked about on the show fairly recently, is Perpetuum, which was developed and published, right? an MMO developed and published by a, you know, a team, a company, whatever. Um, so they owned all of that stuff, and they released all of it after the game died and it still took a dedicated team several months to recreate the servers. Um, and they, you know, they're supported on Patreon 
they're not technically making money off of the sale. It's, you know, donations to, you know, keep them, uh, keep up like server costs and stuff like that. But, you know, it took a team of people who were, you know, this is what they did several months to recreate the server. So there's definitely a lot more, not, not to belabor the point too much, but there's definitely a lot more potentially on the back end that could be involved at any developer's level. So more than, more than just a, a day, you know, a few hours or a few days worth of work potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of, a, a lot of, uh, I keep having to go double check my notes because for some reason I can't remember his name, Accursed Farms. A lot of his arguments did come down to what I felt like were very emotional stances. Like, I feel like this doesn't match. I feel, I mean, he doesn't specifically say this, I don't think. Uh, I mean, like I said, there's a lot of video that I'm trying to recall here, but a lot of what he said at least came across as like, I feel like I or, you know, other people are being taken advantage of. I feel like we're being lied to. And that certainly can feel like fraud. And maybe, you know, going back to the heart of this, like, you know, between two individuals, you might could say, hey, you defrauded me and it would be acceptable. But you have to prove something a lot more concretely in a court of law and, getting around to what Luna French was talking about, essentially to prove fraud, you have to prove that a company, uh, essentially a company malice. or an entity, yeah, malicious intent. They knowingly lied. They knowingly which, deceived which you Which then you start way. getting into, you know, AAA gaming, you know, you start to maybe have a point on the marketing side of things. But uh, I think the reason why I'm uh, kind of more caught up on the legal definition of this, even though, once again, I am not a lawyer either, or a law expert is that getting caught up on the wrong definition and going to the wrong area prevents you from fixing it. This is a consumer rights issue. This is a consumer protection issue and going into those areas and uh, making those laws more robust, uh, re, uh, uh, doing the consumer protection or actually having proper consumer protection in the United States would go a long way towards fixing this issue in the United States. Fixing yeah. fraud, especially with how uh, the game EULA is designed, and the fact that they say right on the box that the game can be shut down at any point after a certain uh, period of time, technically does not make that fraud. Is it scummy? Does it feel wrong? Yes, but on a legal standpoint, they have the high ground as much as that sucks. So that's why I'm kind of caught up on this is that uh, Leonard Fritsch actually had a, well, he didn't use it as an analogy, but I liked it. So I'm going to borrow it. It's like this carnival coming into town. The carnival says that they're only going to be in for so uh, long. Now, uh, in this case, yeah, uh, it's going to be, you know, well, the carnival's in a town for as long as it's profitable. All right. So it's not a set amount of time. Whenever you buy a game, you're buying a ticket to go into their carnival and to pl- uh, play their games. When the carnival uh, is no longer making enough money, they leave town. You still have your uh, lifetime pass that you bought, but because the t- carnival's left town, you no longer have asset access to it. Did the carnival defraud you when they said, we're going to be in town for as long as uh, it's profitable. 
and in the fine print of, uh, when you uh, bought your uh, ticket, it says uh, we have the right to leave town at any point with a 30 days warning. Is that fraud? Legally, no. Does it feel scummy? Well, that's when you start getting into the kind of the uh, should companies have to keep uh, uh, live service games up when they are no longer profitable, when it's actually costing them money. But, you know, we're getting into some dangerous territory there to try to legislate. Yeah. I think, I mean, ultimately, this would have to go to court and perhaps multiple instances would have to go to court. For how you know different live service uh, escapades, let's say, have played out. Um, I think there might be more of a case for certain things than for others. It would be difficult to prove, no matter what, just because you do have to prove a very high burden, or you do have a very high burden of proof to show fraud. And I do th- agree with you uh, that it is, I think, much more of a consumer rights issue than it is a. I mean, it's all legal, but, you know, fraud is a different a different avenue. You know, that's more criminal intent, you yeah. know, more malicious intent, as opposed to just maybe more negligence or taking advantage of a, a, a system or something like that. It's all scummy, but, you know, one of them is much more malicious in nature. So, And one's also a lot more easy to prove because fraud is... A very narrow definition for reason, yeah, because it carries a very stiff penalty if it's uh, found to be true. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't, I mean, there's not really a, a good clear answer for this, except, you know, if it ever goes to court, then I guess we'll get some sort of answer there about, you know, how they're going to interpret the legal definition of fraud when it comes to digital goods and services uh, especially a service uh, uh, that can completely change N- not just shut down but uh, let's use uh, world of warcraft for example uh the 1.0 version of the game the launch version is completely different from how it is today i mean uh, wow's gone through several very massive design changes over the years at what point uh, would it be considered a different enough product that a court of law would say that it's fraudulent because it's no longer the item that was sold. You know, a little bit of a gray area and a little bit of a dangerous area because it could shut down MMOs if it goes the wrong way. Yeah, I didn't even think of it that way. That would be interesting, though. To me, that feels kind of like a car, like uh, like a Ford Focus has been in production somewhere for more than 20 years. But what model specifically defines a Focus? Because they're different every year. But I, I don't know. That maybe is a little bit too much apples to oranges comparison mm-hmm. there. But that feels similar. I mean, a whole new set of law eventually. Like, at some point, just has to be like, okay. Like, we've been trying to sort of legislate around digital goods and things for decades now, but we really just need to sit down and hammer some of this stuff out. Like at some point that's got to happen somewhere, which sounds nebulous. Like I'm not trying to be like sarcastic about it. Like it does have to happen at some point somewhere, 
but I, you know, I don't have a, a looking glass into the future. I don't know where it's going to happen or when, but I don't think this is the sort of thing that's kind of going to evolve over time because it hasn't really evolved much in 20, 30 some odd years that digital goods have really existed. There've been some things for sure, like the DMCA and the States for all of its issues. Um, I know that there's similar, like I'm not nowhere near as familiar with laws in Europe or anything like that, but you know, I know that there are similar laws in the EU, uh, and other places. So I get, but those all feel like band-aids instead of actually dealing with the real problem. Yeah. And, uh, or issue. yeah. And he also went into the whole perpetual license uh, versus, uh, of how things actually run these days where you're actually, what are you actually buying? Are you buying the experience? Or are you buying the client? And that's something him and Leonard French went on and on about actually, <laughs> uh, which was actually a little frustrating that they got caught up on that because it was interesting to hear them go back and forth, but it felt like, uh, accursed farms at times were kind of grasping at straws, trying to hold his argument. Uh, when, Leonard Fritsch was focused on, like I am, the legal definition in order to be able to properly address the problem. Because if you, like I said, if you focused on a fraud issue, well, that's going to be a very narrow window of uh, games. He used the example of if Battlefront 3 came out, ran for a day, and then suddenly shot, uh, shut down and everybody... Uh, uh, that was on the dev team, uh, you know, skip country. That would be considered fraud. But that's also more of a breach of contract because of how the EULA is usually written out. And even the fact that if something isn't considered covered by the EULA, there's a doctrine, and I'm blanking on what he called it, and I really should have took notes on that, where... I don't, it's essentially the yeah, I don't remember. Uh, general practice of the industry uh, dictates anything that isn't covered. So the general practice is essentially a 30-day uh, uh, notice. Refunds aren't a general practice. Usually there are exceptions to that. But because those are the general practices, they're considered kind of the unwritten contract, for lack of a better term. Does it suck? Yes. But once again, fraud is not quite where we're going at here. That is more breach of contract. That's anti-consumer. And that's something that's a lot easier to prove and a lot more likely to go through in a court of law. Yeah. Just, yeah, I mean, it, my brain is going in so many different directions <laughs> at once and I'm tired. <laughs> it's not helping. Um, you know, a lot of this does come down to, which, you know, we've kind of already said, but the specific, the specific nature of how law has to be written and interpreted. And the fact that we don't have any legal precedent for this really, um, at least in the digital gaming realm and certainly not connected to games as service, but you know, it's it's an interesting well, argument, well, there, the layman's well, perspective versus uh, a legal perspective. Uh, there, uh, there was an uh, 
a CAD software license that Leonard French was talking about where they wrote into the EULA that was non-transferable. And the company that bought all the licenses uh, shut down. Well, the guy that bought all the licenses from that company and was selling them on eBay was sued and lost because of how the EULA was written. Now, can the EULA right away all your rights? No. But at the same time, the uh, EULA is what's kind of dictating uh, this argument here. As much as that sucks, it comes down to just how... Anti-consumer is probably not the proper term, but lack of proper uh, protection the consumer has in the United States. And that's what we're having to deal with here is a consumer that's kind of you know, left out to draw a lot of times. And it's up to the company to uh, be upstanding. And we've already talked about how uh, the uh, ESA is uh, less than so. Which I realized, you know, uh, they don't dictate the laws, but they are the lobbying arm of uh, the gaming industry. Yeah. There's also something sort of how uh, Accursed Farms, I felt like, was arguing was that there should be no, and, and maybe this was just, you know, I interpreted this, in a way that he didn't intend. But I felt a lot of what his argument was, was that there should be no risk, no chance for anything to ever happen. And I lose my product. Um, yeah, which, but there's a certain amount of risk that has to be assumed with everything in life. And like, I'm, you know, that's just come across kind of like a platitude, but that's just <laughs> the truth of the situation. And in the United States in particular, as a consumer, you have to be aware that you're taking on more risk than someone in Europe or uh, Asia, potentially. I don't know what <clears throat> what uh, sort of consumer protections that, say, uh, South Korea has. But, you know, I would imagine that it's probably better than the United States. Just about everywhere is better than the United States in that front. But, you know, there is always going to be a certain amount of risk that goes along with it. And, and Consumer protection laws and things like that can help mitigate some of that risk from gross negligence, incompetence, or potential fraud and things. But, you know, at the end of the day, there's still always going to be some risk that you will lose your product or your possession or, or whatever. Um, and, you know, I like I said, I feel like in some way he was coming across like, oh, we should just make this where it's no risk. No, it's win-win for everyone. I'm grossly oversimplifying some of his arguments, but some of the stuff that he was throwing in there was kind of coming off a bit flippantly and a bit like, well, of course, if we just do this, everything would be fine. Yeah, it's uh, something I came across as, uh, that's not probably as strongly as you, but that's why I kind of uh, brought up the whole, you know, at what point can a developer shut things down, especially if they don't have the rights to implement the, end of life plan that they uh, want to or he wants them to I should say uh, and also uh, different games have different backends because we uh, there's the fat and the uh, thin servers where uh, a game like the division 2 since he was so hung up on that the game server handles the heavy lifting it handles uh, let's uh, I'm making assumptions here but let's go for it where 
the game handles all the loot rolls. It handles all the AI. All the client's really doing is interpreting the data from the server and drawing pretty, pretty pictures and taking your input and sending it to the server to play the game. Well, on the flip side, you may have something like Warframe where their servers uh, are the login servers, matchmaking, and chat. And it's considered a stronger client. Well, the plan would be very different between the two of them. And not as easy to just say, okay, well, you just have to do this, this, and this. Well, it may cover a game that requires a less lifting by the server on something like Warframe if it's a weak documentation requirement. But then, you know, you get something like uh, The Division 2 where, okay, that's nice. You have the a net code. Good luck figuring out everything else. But then you come across uh, where, okay, well, you have to give us all the information. Well, trademark, bitch. Right? Yep. Or what about you know, the next iteration where the Division 3 may use the same netcode or it may use the same AI infrastructure? Well, you've just given away that information. So it makes hacking a lot more likely. Not saying that you know, hacking is not going to happen anyway, but it you know, you're handing off a lot of information here. And I really think he's being unrealistic. And I think that I think that's why I'm so caught up on this, and why I felt at times that he was making the emotional plea is that uh, I I wonder just how much he realizes that he was making such sweeping and large requirements of the gaming industry, where it has to be this and nothing else. And I got that, especially whenever I was watching the Learned French video where he was going back and forth with uh, French, where uh, he uh, would uh, basically just scoff off a lot of the legal terminology and just say, essentially, and I'm uh, I'm hugely paraphrasing here, that it still feels wrong. Well, yes, it may still feel wrong, but it's not in the legal definition of fraud and you're arguing with a lawyer. Yeah. Um, I don't. I I do believe that uh, he was being very genuine. Genuine. That yeah. that is a curse of farms. So I think he's being very maybe genuine. A bit naive then, uh, which sounds yeah, uh, you know, uh, yeah, very dismissive of him. But I don't think naive is the right way to say it. Maybe, but he seemed more like you know he was very impassioned. And something that you see with a lot of people who have a passion for something is that they will you know, sort of bullheadedly pursue their goal, pursue, you know, whatever it is. In this case, uh, this game to service is fraud thing. Oftentimes to evidence that either proves the contrary or something that, you know, someone who wasn't quite as passionate might, you know, take pause and consider. So I don't, I, I don't think he's necessarily, I mean, he's definitely being genuine. I don't think he's necessarily being naive or that he's, doing it on purpose, like, because he's an asshole or whatever. Like, well, I, I wasn't accusing him of that. I don't get that. that sense from him. No, 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 I, I, I'm not saying that you were, but I'm just kind of taking this out to the next step, its potential, you know, sort of conclusion. But, um, you know, I don't think he's necessarily even being an asshole or whatever. He just 
that's the way he sees it and he's so almost entrenched in his view that it's very difficult for anything to break through that even a strong counter argument from an actual lawyer yeah you know, I, I would suggest I if, copy- if nothing else um, if you want to see something interesting is go watch the uh, Leonard French video that will be in the show notes it's going to be the like the two hour and some change one around the one hour mark or so he brings in uh, Ross which is Accursed Farms and uh, because he uses a Discord overlay on his uh, live stream where he talks to people, uh, it's essentially a podcast. Uh, you could just scrub back and forth until you find Ross on screen. So it's very easy to find when he joins in. And uh, listen to some of the uh, argument back and forth because it is very interesting. Just uh, the layperson versus the lawyer. And just the difference of definition. Because... Uh, I think that's where a lot of this it comes down to. It's just the difference of definition where uh, he is calling something fraudulent. It becomes consumer uh, protection issues. It becomes a uh, breach of contract. Uh, it becomes anti-consumer uh, issues. Are they the same issues? Yes. And is it the, a different uh, label? Yes. But they have different recourses. And, that, and because he's so caught up on that sexy term, yelling at the top of his lungs fraud that he's uh, missing uh, the forest for the trees here. He has someone on his side, but he's so attached to just wanting to call something something else that uh, he uh, is not really discarding an ally and someone that could uh, potentially help him, but he wants to make it, he wants to fight the fight like he wants to. At least that's the way yeah. I took it from uh, listening to uh, the back and forth. And I'm not saying he's uh, not wrong on some of his points. I mean, does it suck that a game can shut down? Yes. But I'm looking at more of a historical uh, context of not being able to preserve games, of uh, not being able uh, to en- you know, enjoy that game that I enjoyed uh, years down the road. But you're also looking at these games that are built around massively multiplayer experiences as well. Uh, Something like The Division is a very lonely experience if you're playing with no one else on the server, let alone your party. So, uh, it also comes down to the right to repair that he uh, went on to for a bit. Talking about the reason why the developers should have to release the code uh, essentially the key to the Enigma code, as he called it, uh, is uh, to f- to have a chance to repair the game for your personal use. Who has the knowledge to do that? Because once you get past a single person, that starts to get beyond the right to repair. And we've, start, we've seen a lot of companies. I mean, we just talked about company or not company of heroes, city of heroes. I keep saying company of heroes because of the same initials. We saw uh, city of heroes get smacked down and they talked literally about this issue of still running the server, even though the game shut down because they knew they would get a, a, a cease and desist because it's a public thing then. And it's not, quite under the right to repair argument 
Yeah. Going back to what you just said a, a second ago about, you know, having to rebuild, repair code, whatever. Like, who, you know, how many people could do that? Not not a lot. And I'm not even talking about, uh, you know, just getting a server up and running. Because we're talking about AI algorithms. We're talking about loot, ba- uh, uh, loot tables. We're talking about netcode to a server. We're talking about a lot of highly specific knowledge, a lot of specialized knowledge. And even in the company themselves, I'd be surprised if there's one person that's able to do all of that. And the people that built the damn thing. Yeah, I'm with you. I wouldn't expect one person, even these small one person dev teams. I, you know, I suspect that they would use a lot of basic stuff that they could acquire. Yeah, which comes um, back around instead to Instead of having uh, to write it all from scratch. Which comes back around to the licensing argument. I mean, uh, let's just pick a game almost at random. How about Stardew Valley? If I recall correctly, he actually had help with the uh, netcode to be able to make that game multiplayer. So even a small one-man development team, he licensed out the multiplayer aspect of it. I mean, that's not quite the same because that's not a life service game, at least by a Cursed Farm's def- definition, which seems to hint pretty much solely on always online. But yeah. it, uh, it carries the argument that even a small one-person dev team doesn't have the knowledge to build their game completely from scratch on a peer-to-peer multiplayer service. And using uh, Steam's uh, multiplayer uh, network is supposed to be really easy (laughs) or at least uh, easy to people that have the knowledge to do it because i'm not about to say well i can do it no i can't i i I wouldn't know what to do i think you would have better luck with uh, putting a monkey in front of a keyboard (laughs) yeah i'd be also lost Um, i could learn with enough time and some good materials to teach me yeah, but there's oh, but there's one thing that prevents that. What? Your laziness. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um do you, have we exhausted this topic? Oh, well we've been on it for a bit, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, uh, we have. I'm not sure if there's anything else to really cover. I mean, in principle, I do agree with them. Uh, on certain points, but his end game, I think, is unattainable. You know, and I think that's uh, yeah. And I think that and that doesn't bring down his whole argument, but it does put a fatal flaw in his argument where uh, he seems unrealistic that he uh, will not uh, give up on uh, this more emotional uh, based uh, decrying of games of service, even though. Uh, he, he's uh, he's trying to uh, win a battle while losing the war. Yeah, it's a good way to say it. Trying really hard to win this battle, but overall is giving up on the war or losing the yeah. war. Yeah, which I think it just really comes down to: we need better consumer protection in the U.S. Agreed. A thousand percent agreed. Better consumer protection in the plus US. ultra. <laughs> yes. 
Well, uh, before we go, uh, I think we should thank Jim once again because we got a lot of mileage out of that. We did. We, uh, did. we had no idea how long we'd be talking about that, but uh, I think we uh, we, a, uh, did, uh, we got some uh, really good points on that one. So thank you, Jim, yeah. for sending that in. And if you wish to send in another topic for us to talk at length about, even though we may spend some time to you know, get boned up on the subject, and uh, some of us may study it as well. You can do so VGLpodcast at gmail.com with your letters, voicemails, game-related topics, or just tweet them to us, VGLpodcast on the Twitter. Yippers. Um, so, looking at the time... Yeah, I was thinking you're I about would... to turn to a pumpkin, so I don't think we're going to be hitting any music this week. Indeed. Which That's doesn't okay. hurt my feelings, because that makes the show notes a little bit easier. Or, in my case, usually a lot easier, because I tend to have better discovery cues. You do. You do, indeed. But, that may, I still can say, hey, Rage, hit them with those socials. Well, since I've already given the email, uh, I've been Caffeine Rage. You can find me over on the YouTube, Gaming with Caffeine Rage. You can find me on the Twitter, Gaming with CR. And maybe someday you'll find me over on Twitch, uh, Caffeine underscore Rage. And you've been? I have been Gaming Psychologist. You can find me on the YouTubes by searching for Gaming Psychologist. You can find me on Twitter at JMA4707. And if you don't be my friend on Steam, you can just send a, quick, a friend request to JArthur4707. And, of course, the password for this week is Verification Can. Because it can't be anything else. <laughs> <laughs> and kind of ties in, doesn't it? <laughs> it yeah. It's uh, oddly fitting, <laughs> or it's odd and it's fitting, so yeah, oddly fitting. Yeah, if you never read the Verification Can story, it's a 4chan uh, story, but it's not grossy or uh, anything like that. Uh, but it's kind of a dystopian gaming future, even though it's not in the past because it's set in 2018. <laughs> but yeah, definitely worth checking out if you've never heard of it. <laughs> But something else that you've already heard is our email. So let's just skip to the Patreon, patreon.com slash podcast. And if you used to join our lovely patrons, they pay for our Podbean account. VGLpodcast.podbean.com, which hosts the show notes, which if you wish to get the Leonard French video and not have to search YouTube for it, you can do so right there. Get links to all our stuff. Uh, join the Discord, or you could find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or your podcatcher of choice. Our intro and outro music is On the Ground by Kevin McLeod, and you can find his work at incompetech.com, and... As always, as his lovely music starts to roll across my voice, bye bye now. See you next time.